Discover Planet of the Apes. Civilization where humans run wild in the jungles. And the superior beings are apes. on the speech centers, on the brain. And a kind of living death. Movie night extravaganza. We are on episode 10 uh, in a month, which is, you know, pretty amazing, to be honest. Um, I'm here with a with a select uh, a select crew. Matthew, the film guy, of course, of Majority Report fame. Um, a film editor now who uh, edited a film called Black Bear. Uh, avid letterbox film reviewer. And also he has a film discussion class, um, which we'll put into the description. And he can, you know, plug that fully uh, later in the episode. Um, we also have Jeremy Johnson, uh, integral theorist, host of the Mutations podcast, uh, frequent, you know, TMBS guest in the past and friend of Michael Brooks and uh, co-host of the Brooks Books Club. That's hard to say, but <laughs> with Leisha Brooks. Um, for some reason, you know, I usually uh, I usually put Andy first, but he wanted me to read this thing. He sent it to me. So uh, we have, uh, you know, uh, Andrew, the movie guy. Um I've never, I don't, I didn't know that anybody called you that, but you know, I guess, uh, host of bad takes, co-host of movie night extravaganza, of course, this amazing podcast, uh, GTA crew member and avid movie watcher and illustrator, uh, who does not have a letterbox. So that's why he, you know, he's, he's pushed a little bit farther down to the bottom, I think. And, uh, of course we have, uh, Amy Bell and Amanda Ferriante, uh, the hosts of these are bad movies. So how's everybody doing? good ready to get doing great that that trailer just really jazzed me up again too (laughs) i hate this movie yeah (laughs) i do too now (laughs) we spent the last week watching all of the movies nice and so we had a very strong visceral reaction to seeing (laughs) any more footage (laughs) 
I stopped sort of through? going into the TV show. I oh. think I got fed up. Uh, she stopped me. I, I had the TV show box set in my hand. Yep. And she was like, no, put that down. And we were only like three movies deep at that point. So I have no regrets in regards to the TV show. Yeah, I watched uh, I watched Beyond the, or Beneath the Planet of the Apes, the second one, um, last night, and made it through the first hour and fifteen minutes. Couldn't couldn't make it farther than that. There was uh, only five minutes left. The best five minutes. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. It was like four a.m. I was like I was tired. I'm watching you know a Planet of the Apes binge, and I was just like I, I can't I can't uh yeah I can't do this yeah um but then yeah. I watched I watched the third one and I I'm blanking on the on the name of the third one but uh. The one where it's reversed and escape from the planet escape. of the apes. Yeah, escape yep. from the planet of the apes, and I actually enjoyed it. I actually well, thought that was, that was like a decent, that was a decent well, fish out of water comedy. Well, it, it starts comedy and then takes a hard left turn into tragedy. Yeah, which is very strange. <laughs> and, and still the next kind one of the weird. Good. Yeah, no, it still has kind of that weird comedy feel when they're like running and like the music doesn't match up with like how uh, how like you know dark some of those scenes are. Um, yeah, but all so, the sequels make the original look like, uh, you know, the deepest kind of social critique that the cinema was ever <laughs> capable of. Oh, yeah. I, I kept hearing things about how Tim Burton's 2001 adaptation was the absolute worst. And after having watched all of the first five of them, I was just in complete disbelief that you could go into a deeper level of bad. Yeah, it has more Marky Mark though, so that's probably that's part of, part of the problem. Yeah. See, this is why you don't like question still of a director like Tim Burton. Like you didn't think he could go there, he did. <laughs> feel it, feel it. I remember, I remember being a kid and that one coming out, and uh, and then of course they got really into like the CGI versions of it, like um, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes and War of the Planet of the Apes, like just that. But I don't know. I I think the the I, I have a I have a soft spot for the non CGI uh, like you know the the costume design of it and you know how how rigorous it must have been to and I have clips of um I have clips of like a couple of the actors talking about this and the whole movie I guess of Roddy McDowell um getting his uh his his makeup on but you know it's just it just doesn't feel the same with uh, CGI like it feels like it's easy and it shouldn't feel easy it should feel like it's you know, uh, something that actors remember forever and, you know, that they're really going through it. Like, you got to think for latex ape lips. <laughs> lots of lots of directors had a thing for latex ape lips based on just the sheer number of kissing scenes. Just going to leave that there. <laughs> yeah, apparently I was going to say, what about that end of the movie kissing scene? So in the series, it's almost every movie. Yeah. And, and yeah. I mean, let's let's be honest, though, like like, um, uh what's his name the uh, charlton heston was like the horniest dude uh you know he's just like we're you know that was our eve and we were going to start a new uh garden of eden and then he's like you know macking on the the ape woman so like you know just just way hornier than he needed to be well he's kind of he was a... risking everything for nova who he considered subhuman yeah mm -hmm. but he was less horny than in the book yeah amy read, read the, the book? they were they were more horny in the book Oh well, you like did your they homework. Toned it down. They had a baby in the book. Well, well it's a French. It's a French. Uh, a French author. <laughs> so I don't. Right. Yeah. Say no more. Yeah. <laughs> I, in I in find... the book, he and Nova had a baby, or he and 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 him and they... Nova. Okay. Yeah. Nova. Okay. That makes more um, sense. <laughs> yeah. 
Yeah, I but... couldn't. I couldn't find an audio book. Like I really. I don't know. I'm like at a point where I'm on a computer so much that like reading a, a physical book kind of takes a toll on my eyes that I wasn't. You're you're, you're going the down the path to the people who can't talk. We all are. Like yeah, know, that's the first step. I, I yeah. see it coming. <laughs> I'm I'm there too. Audiobooks right in the hole. I mean, I don't know, but you know, you're processing the same information. Uh, I I stepped that's on my what glasses. I tell myself too. I stepped on my glasses a couple months ago, and I haven't been able to get a, a new pair, so that probably has something to do with it. <laughs> same same here. You know, you're reminding me that this uh, screenplay was written by Rod Serling, and and my one line review of this was that it's the big budget ultimate Twilight Zone episode because it has all of the sort of you know social broad social critique. It really redefines broad social critique, and yeah. then you know nihilistic sort of uh, human foibles ending with a twist right that's always what was great about the twilight zones and yeah uh, no I, it really no it really i mean i didn't think about that watching it but you're 100 percent right about that um actually his his screenplay was redone by another guy so it was the big twist that sort of stuck around but they changed setting and a whole ton of stuff so we are not getting the full twilight zone experience from the movie yeah, but as long as the most enduring image of it is "you did it," yeah, that's the Serling touch True. right there. How True. many Twilight Zone episodes end with a guy yelling "no"? <laughs> Although, yeah. am I sensing another reboot, like the original OG Rod Serling screenplay adapted into film? Yeah, somebody has that in a drawer mm -hmm. somewhere. Right? Mm -hmm. so they're gonna they're gonna make Jordan Peele do it because he he did the he did the Twilight Zone uh, reboot. Yeah. But they could totally do it with the new ones because, like, they, they've all been kind of uh, more or less modern. You know, like, like um, it's like the prequels of of the, you know, like, like these later sequels of, of uh, uh, Planet of the Apes movies done well, except now we have um, uh, better special effects and whatnot. So uh, it, it's almost like like they're, they're, they're building up to bringing in the, uh, the Rod Sterling original script. I don't know the the improved CGI in the Andy Circus trilogy did nothing for me, and I just I'm ready for it. Let it die. Let's Ditto. just like let this one go because they've had I... nine opportunities to really hit it home <laughs> and never quite got there. I was I was prepared to be the one person coming on here who wanted to not like this movie and explain why, but uh, I actually. You know, it, it actually had for its time an attempt to make popular entertainment out of some kind of, you know, serious minded critique, whereas the new ones, they're bad in their own new modern way, which is just mindless action and murder. And yeah, I could get behind the uh, we're killing the planet theme that sort of made it in there. But at least in the 60s, they still thought that they had to try to put something serious in their cheesy sci fi uh, big budget. So I kind of got to give it some credit for at least that. Yeah. What, what did we all think of that opening scene with Charlton Heston kind of having his little monologue about My the ego. Yeah, 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 all that. I thought it was surprisingly philosophical. I'm like, wow, I don't even remember this scene from a kid. Like he's talking about humanity and, you know. It's a real cosmic brain opening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cosmic uh, always, brain Charlton Heston. Yes. I, I always love the fact that you have uh, him doing that and like my first thought is like he's he's uh smoking and, yes. and uh, space and like how yes. much oxygen do they have left? Why is he smoking? And the oxygen is flammable. Like you can't 
you can't smoke in a spacecraft. <laughs> and they I'm knew that at that stage can. when they made that movie. He's probably the one that killed uh that, that killed the the other the other astronaut because his smoke got <laughs> into her um you know into the tank. <laughs> He's like, oh no, five hundred years ago. You know, one thing, one thing that so I was never thinking, of, one thing that I was thinking about is, um, I recently rewatched uh, two thousand one, A Space Odyssey, mm-hmm. which is obviously never heard of it, which is which is obviously made the same year as Planet of the Apes, and they also have the uh, human hibernation part of it that goes terribly wrong. So it's interesting. I mean, I don't know exactly like the 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 science, uh, I guess the science fiction aspect of that, but like it's interesting that they both are filmed the same year and have that same technology that like quickly goes to shit. Well, one was definitely a better movie. I'll put that there. But the- well, don't leave us in suspense. Oh, the <laughs> 2001 a Space Odyssey. No, I mean, in terms of sci-fi and production value and uh, probably and so the apes apes realistic looking apes. Of the apes. I'm sorry. Like <laughs> those gorilla costumes in 2001 are just subpar compared to uh, All right, so movie. so good. So we have okay. two thousand one. Yeah, I actually agree with that. <laughs> two thousand one, <laughs> better movie. Yeah. Uh, Planet of the Apes, better apes. That's the headline. Yeah. yeah. I really, <laughs> I was really hoping someone that. would take the other side and like have to argue now that uh, Planet of the Apes is a better movie than two thousand one <laughs> because I feel like that would be a far more interesting, uh, like like hot take to have to defend. <laughs> I, I, honestly, I'm not the world's biggest 2001 fan, but I have to admit there was a lot more artistry and intellectual sort of <laughs> exertion that went into that movie compared to uh, oh, the Planet of the Apes. We're right there with you. We've already done an episode of These Are Bad Movies with 2001. And I don't know how movie. you can stomach to do that show, but I, my hat's off to you. Oh, we have a hard time every week. <laughs> yeah, you're, you're sadist. You're cinematic sadist. <laughs> we did watch all nine of this Right thing, so yes, I agree. We're and sadists. This is the deranged musings of our collective. Uh, I see two apes there. Week, I see Khan yeah. yelled out in Mandelbahn <laughs> or in, in Shatner. Well, so the, the actor was in the third and fourth in the original series, and I saw him and I said, Oh, no, oh, it's Khan, so it had to go on the board. Oh, I see. Yeah, absolutely. Yes. Ricardo Montalban. Exactly. But, you know, no, I, wanted to, I wanted to ask Jeremy if I could. I don't mean to bogart the show here, but I really was blown away by that, what he says at the beginning there, how he looks through time. And it, I can't remember the exact wording, but he's like, it hurts my ego. Or like, it, like that, uh, that to me is one of the other things that's in this movie is this sort of, um, like it's Heston talking to the kids. Cause remember it's kids going to the movies mostly. And there's all that stuff about, they literally, he says, never trust anybody over 30. Right. There's all, there's the young ape who's like, yeah, those cops or whatever. There's a hilarious uh, beard quote too, where he's like, you know, Oh, like, and he's like, what beard? Like, <laughs> right. So was that, you know, and again, I, I know a little bit about what you do in the integral theory and so on. And so I'm just curious if you're, your, you know, your cosmic with a K take on what what ro- what role that could play in uh, a kid's, uh, you know, maybe because maybe some kids, you know, was the ego was in the popular culture. People were taking a lot of acid. It just was so cosmically hilarious to me. 
No, oh, yeah, I, I, I think they're definitely trying to cater to the uh, the boomer generation in their in their prime, right? Taking psychedelics, not trusting anybody over thirty years old, and and contemplating their their minuscule place in the cosmos, uh, you know, in the context of the of the atomic age, right? Where you know, the sort of nihilist Charlton Heston with a little drop of uh, a little micro dose of of hippie is is like the perfect combination. So I definitely think that was intentional. Yeah, and I and think you're right. It's not a trip nihilism. outside the window. Yeah, yeah, exactly. He also uses he also uses that speech to uh kind of thirst to like to like thirst post almost like he's like at the end of it he's like just wanted to say I'm lonely and he's you know he's yeah. he's trying he's reaching out to any uh That's any right. any cosmic women that might be out there and, and, and there's more depth to his little speech there than uh, anything that like Bezos or or um Elon Musk said after you know they they, they put oh, the tip into the space yeah. mm -hmm. <laughs> Well, that's, that's just, the, just the tip. Just the tip. We're <laughs> But that's what when you said nihilist. That's what I think was the funniest thing about it is that like he has this seemingly cosmic opening, but he like hates it, right? It doesn't. He's like the ego is fighting to the death, and that's who he is. He's this right. He he laughs at your flag. I don't know. He's like a libertarian of the soul. He like right. He's like super individualistic, and he's you know he's but he's hates that the space is making you feel small it's you're right it's not like an expansive experience he's having he's like he wants to fight ass. space yeah he wants to fight. <laughs> i'm lonely why and then he there's really nobody, there's nobody here nobody there's no like there's one girl on the ship and everyone's got to share like who's out there who all up who up i'm, I'm out here in space who up <laughs> <laughs> and in the first 10 minutes, he's really going at the other guy like, you know, everyone you know is dead, <laughs> right? It's it, You would think it would give him some sort of peace or sort of some sort of like perspective, but he's like rubbing it in like, ha you still care, sucker. Right. That, I mean, that's that also disturbing the, that's to me the, and I didn't remember that from youth. That's the Twilight so. Zone twist though too, right? Like he, uh, he finally sees the Statue of Liberty and realizes like he misses humans and like, you know, like he, he's saying like, oh, I wish there was something better out there. He finally finds, you know, a, a civilization that definitely isn't better, but like, you know, like a different kind of civilization. And he's like, oh, shit, maybe I miss humans. Like that's kind of his Twilight Zone twist is like, oh, maybe yeah. we weren't so bad. <laughs> there's like a, there's like a <laughs> taste we of, of except for the nuclear war. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. There's like a taste of, uh, of you know, how Tarkovsky and, and, uh, and Solaris has a sort of cosmicism sort of Russian Soviet cosmicism in, in that film, this is sort of like the American take on that, right? Like the American Hollywood action hero who's lonely and is horny and, you know, laughs at the cosmos with a sort of nihilism and still kind of recognizes that he'd rather be with somebody, you know? So the, yeah, I, I would say this is like a, a Hollywood take on cosmicism in that context. I buy that. Yeah. I, it's just to hear the word cosmicism said again and again, I'm into that. <laughs> <laughs> but also, I mean, like, I don't know. He seems unable to kind of feel human emotion in the way that people do. Like, I guess. Yeah. He's, he's, he's like, like a sociopath. Yeah. yeah. Because he was telling like, uh, he was telling Nova like, oh, there were plenty of women back home. Like, you know, but like tons of lovemaking and no love. Like he seems emotionally, I mean, which is interesting uh, after watching uh, Ad Astra recently and talking about how, you know, uh, James Gray kind of makes the point that like the, the person that isn't able to make human connection, um, is the only person really that you want to send into one of, one of those missions because at that point they're not going to be able to like they're not emotionally reacting to things 
they're kind of uh, like a hollow person. So you're sending right. that kind of person into space. Right. This right. kind of is a similar characterization. Um, I, I like that. Yeah, it's kind of an inhuman thing to ask somebody to do, be devoid of all contact, all nurturing, all, you know, anything you can need for life. But, well, but he didn't just like decide that he liked humans. He decided that he hated everything that wasn't human very mm -hmm. quickly. And yeah. as uh, as somebody who was sent out to explore the cosmos, you think that they would have a little bit more nuanced understanding of what <laughs> non-Earth life might look like. Yeah, he was horny for <laughs> aliens, though. Like, like he was really out there, like ready to fuck some aliens. And yeah. and yeah. then <laughs> then all of a sudden he sees them and he's just like, no, they're not aliens, by the way. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, well, but like he didn't know that he at the time. He's just like, you know, like fine, I'm going Monkeys. for the human. God damn it. That's the one kind of alien I told them I didn't want to fuck. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it like I, yeah. it was completely on board with everything until it was like, wait a minute, <laughs> these vaguely resemble animals to me. I was actually throwing out the theory for the for most of the movie that they were just trying to get rid of the worst of the bunch by sending them into space, and it wasn't really about exploration because these people were not qualified. <laughs> Yeah, he's like, yeah, has to. he's down. gonna smoke, it'll be fine. If it goes up, it goes up. There's also uh the other guy is like stuck in high school or whatever. Like he's like, Oh, like you were you were probably like the talk of your town. Like maybe maybe he's like walking around like that in the town and they're like, you know what? We got a we got a great space mission for you. Exactly. Get the fuck out of this town. Exactly. Yeah, that's a weird over, little tidbit too. Just get in the ship. Yeah. <laughs> That Here we put a we put a girl in there for you who conveniently <laughs> dies, so we don't have to deal with the dynamics of that. <laughs> Although you, you do get the dynamics, they're gonna you know they're gonna they're gonna cancel the whole the whole crew if something happens. So you, you do have the dynamics after uh, you know they go swimming and and uh, the 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 uh, other two guys go down and Charles and Hess is just standing there. That was a there was a you lot mean of the Austin Powers nude scenes. Yeah, what <laughs> yeah, a many. <laughs> There was a lot more man ass than I expected in this movie. Truly, that that definitely stood out. That's a plus or a minus in your book. Um, it was just odd. Yeah, <laughs> you, you kind of need to prepare yourself for for that a little bit. It didn't seem like the kind of movie where that happened, and it wasn't the actors where you would want it to. Especially from 1968, you really don't expect casual man ass. Yeah, and on the same screen together. Um, on the flip side, if you listen to the dollop, um, they, they actually did an episode about uh, about swimming and about how uh, swimming up to like the 60s was like nude swimming and it was just men. And that's why like the, there's no women in the congressional pool because they still swim naked in there. What? Today? Yeah. Yeah. This was a few years ago. This was a big controversy that that, that uh, uh, Rand Paul refuses to to not swim naked so so my question is whenever he went swimming in the congressional i'm not, program, I'm not gonna let big government uh try to try to tell me i can't have my dick out in the pool that's too much well, <laughs> one of our um the congressman that we had here in kansas city on the kansas side um not the current one but the previous one had this whole thing where he went skinny dipping in the sea of galilee and that made the news like a bunch of Congress people decided to just take all their clothes off and go into the holy water. And, or like Jesus did. And <laughs> some people were bothered by that. Others were not. So 
Oh my God! I, I just re- found. But a- I didn't realize that nude swimming was such a thing among uh, Congress people. I just found an article in the Atlantic from 2012 in defense of the skinny dipping congressman by Connor. <laughs> oh yeah, Fer- Kevin Yoder. Uh, Connor Fadersdorf. Yeah. What a Fadersdorf. <laughs> that wasn't our senator. That wasn't our congressman that did it. Uh, not my congressman. Look, if they're not going dongs out in the pool, they're going to be going dongs out somewhere. So, like, don't you want it contained? I'm just used to thinking of it as the uh, the the steam room, right? But well, no one can see go down. in the steam room. Everyone can yeah. see everything in the pool. I don't know. This is just another reason why women constantly suspect that some shit's going on that they're not letting us in on. Because there, there is. I mean, there, there is. Like, there is. <laughs> It might be saggy and old, but there is something. You, you don't. You we're don't. Like join... we're going to swim naked just so the ladies don't come. Okay, buddy. Or Go maybe, for... or maybe they're helping some show up. By well, the way, I banned, I banned myself from uh, Andrew Cuomo jokes for tonight. So I'm, <laughs> I'm kind of, you know, I, I just had to make that happen because I just feel like I was going to. Go too, go too far with it. <laughs> you thought it was going to come up, come up a lot in the discussion of Planet of the Apes. Yeah, Planet of the Planet of the Fredos. That's my one. <laughs> <laughs> um, so I I wanted to play this for you guys. Um, I thought this was interesting. This is about uh, beneath the Planet of the Apes, but it talks about how basically Planet of the Apes is the first kind of uh, big sci-fi um, like like remake uh, franchise that. 20th Century Fox does, and I thought that was interesting because it's really, you know, they're fucking everything up now <laughs> through that. So, it, but at least they had the uh, the good sense to make each one like lower budget and lower budget until they disappeared. <laughs> Planet of the Apes had reached a pinnacle of success that no one could have predicted. It was now officially a phenomenon, and with audience interest at its peak. A meeting was called at 20th Century Fox between the producers and elated studio executives. Stan Huff, head of production, says, you gotta do a sequel. I said, Stan, there's no way we can do a sequel. There's no place to go. I don't want to do a thing on Mars. He said, you have to find a way. I had never thought of a sequel. At the time of, of Planet of the Apes, no one was talking sequels very much, or at all. For 20th Century Fox at that period of time, this started the notion of recapturing the success of the first. As thoughts inevitably turned towards the sequel, the producers faced an impossible challenge. That half-buried Statue of Liberty had become a cinematic and cultural milestone, and it cast a very long shadow. How could anyone go beyond the film's apocalyptic vision? Jacqueline Schaffner, already committed to Fox's big-budget epic, Patton, the job of bringing the ape sequel to the screen was given to veteran film and television director Ted Post. But just after Post signed to direct the new apes film, he threatened to resign when told that Charlton Heston was unwilling to return as Taylor. I had told Arthur that I don't think that a sequel will hold without the original star being in it. And uh, they took a little bit of time to, f- to scratch their heads about that and finally came up with a solution which hooked Cash. Chuck Heston back into the sequel. Dick Zanuck called me, he said, Chuck, we have to do a sequel, you know. 
He said, this film is enormous. I said, I don't want to do a sequel. That's like the Andy Hardy series. And he said, Chuck, I can't make the sequel if you're not in it. And I said, well, you got me, Richard, because we couldn't have made this film if you hadn't given it a go. So how about if I'm in the sequel, but I get killed in the opening scene and you pay me whatever you want and we'll give it to, uh, to a school or something. He said, okay, that's fine, that's a deal. And then as the script developed, he called and said, Chuck, how about if we have you disappear in the first scene and then you're killed in the last scene? And I said, yeah, I guess, okay, fine, okay. <laughs> With the Heston crisis resolved, the production team still faced one final hurdle, the studio's insistence on a reduced budget. Best decision they made. Did the acid kick in or were the colors weird? Um, yeah, I don't know. Because it just stopped that. and I, I'm like really like freaking out. No, I can out only now. find that with the weird colors, uh, that, <laughs> okay. that documentary. Um, I looked for it in like regular colors and they didn't, they didn't seem to want to. I must be totally that. high. It looked regular to me. <laughs> well, did you like Google search regular color clip? Yeah, no, <laughs> um, <laughs> no, I just, I just put it into YouTube again, like the, the name of it and nothing else came up. So I was like, all right. Um, that was really something else. Thank you for playing that. That was quite a treat to hear the machinations behind the scene like this is so big we have got to mine this vein again but we we ended it with you know the big reveal and i really was thinking as i was watching this first sequel they somebody said well one ruined new york landmark was great five will be even better in the next movie because there's like grand central station and you know queensboro plaza or there's like six or seven different ones they're like, let's just throw them all in there. If it worked, we decided once, it had to have been in the Ninja Turtles universe. Because <laughs> they're a bunch of mutants. They Those sewers, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Abandoned subway. I mean, how does that rat learn to talk? I, who knows? It's all the same thing. Exactly. It was the simian the rat virus. The, the sequel yeah. has like all of the right elements of an atomic age science fiction movie, but it just doesn't gel together. Yeah like yes. at all you well, know I think we had a conversation about this with lee uh and it was kind of like the 70s was was this um transition period between the uh you know the post Phillips, jacobin science writer and yes. uh, sci-fi correspondent for thank you yes for <laughs> the, the ad astra episode um highly recommend that one if, if you guys get a chance to, to to watch that um and we were we kind of talked about this this history that, that the 70s was this transition period. And I think um, the sequel, you know, that, that that first sequel to Planet of the Apes was kind of this outlier of what was going on because like like a lot of the um, uh, the, the, the sci-fi films were these paranoid uh, fear of uh, losing like, um, uh, you know, like the lifeboat, um, what's that called? The lifeboat uh, uh, theory of like, pro I, I'm, I'm completely blanking, I apologize. Um, cause it's, it's not fresh in my mind. Uh, but, but it's, it's this idea that there's only so many resources we're going to start running out. And, and you see that in themes like, uh, with, with, um, uh, Soylent Green and, um, uh, ZPG where we're like, you know, um, you know, that they're, they're running out of, uh, uh, supplies. You also have like, like you can see these themes in David Bowie's music too. So like, 
uh, and this also kickstarted the uh, uh, the anti-immigrant movement with the, with this type of uh, thinking. Um, you know, through uh, this crazy person at the uh, um, uh, one of those uh, environmental groups, but it's like this environmental racism kind of started out of uh, out of this zeitgeist. And, and Planet of the Apes is a bit of a, a uh, um, at least, yeah, yeah. The Planet of the Apes is, is a bit of a throwback to, to the 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 pre, you know, the the post-war kind of sci-fi. So so it's like an anachronism. Silent Running yeah. was one of those too, right? Back in 72 or something, right? Yeah. I, I don't know about the, the, the racism aspect. I haven't watched that movie. That might be oh a God, good, good movie for us to do. I can't remember that movie. But, yeah. That movie is racist against robots, but that's a different whole story. Okay. <laughs> yeah, he's floating around in space with like the last trees. Hmm. Well, fuck robots. The robots are He might. <laughs> I, I was actually just starting to watch, but I haven't finished it. Uh, is uh, Omega Man with Charlton Heston too? That's another like oh, last, I love that. Man, last man on Earth. I saw that in, in elementary school, and it like changed my 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 worldview right there. It was just amazing. Um, I'd be down how, to uh, do a tell how so. <laughs> I'd be down um, to follow up with that with with Omega Man if you wanted to. I'd be down. Let's just but, do all the Hestons. Why not? Yeah, Soiling Green. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, just kidding. Just kidding. We can watch them get more and more reactionary uh, throughout yeah. each 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 movie because this is kind of the the transitional phase for him. Like this is kind of when he's going between being like incredibly reactionary and uh, kind of you know openly liberal, which is interesting that he followed the same exact trajectory on this as Ronald Reagan, like to the point where they were hanging out while they were both going through that. Um, which I think every movie somehow returns to Reagan that we've done for these last 10 episodes. I don't know how the fuck that happens, but him and Reagan were like the head of the, uh, the SAG. Uh, yeah, he, he did a movie with an ape first. He wins. Yeah. yeah. I really, I really wanted to, um, I mean, I don't know. He didn't respond to the tweet, but I wanted to make uh, Rick Perlstein that wrote uh, Reagan land. I, I thought it was really funny. Like if, we had gotten an episode with him uh, having to watch Bedtime for Bonzo and like <laughs> comment on it. <laughs> carbon and niche, dude. Definitely. <laughs> See, that sounds like something I do, though. But I'm getting Milton Alamati to watch uh, Wolf Warrior 2 this week or trying to. <laughs> I like how I you guys getting to watch. That's great. <laughs> you and you and uh, you and these are bad movies kind of are the same. Your show bad. Like those are kind of the same show, but you actually enjoy the, the bad movies and like get some kind of visceral pleasure out of it. like I don't know like it's I feel like you guys have a very similar show. Yeah we we like bad things. Just not this particular thing. Yeah. Well Andy likes I think Andy likes all like all bad movies that I, I seem to like 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 I just have this this joy of like uh low and medium art. Um uh you know ever I mean you know comics uh whatever it's it's this this enjoyment that i have and and uh uh i i can't stop uh you know going back to like uh uh you know oh there's an action movie that 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 was like one of the biggest uh in the world in 2017 i gotta see this like what the hell <laughs> you know I, mean, and, I don't know i don't know what what like genre of movies uh you guys do for the most part but um andy's are like 80s movies for the most part i think i mean almost yeah well, I mean, you know, uh, I mean, the the first one we did was a real recent one that came out in uh, over the pandemic, which was uh, Iron Mask with Arnold Schwarzenegger and Jackie Chan, which are 
to movie stars from the 80s. What? I didn't even hear about that one. That oh, sounds well, fantastic. Geriatric Schwarzenegger and Chan. Wow. And they have a fight sequence that's amazing. Yes, they do. Yes. Basically, the movie the movie peaks out in the first half hour. Um, they don't tell you it's a sequel. So there's like oh. all this narration to like explain everything. And you're just like, wait, what? What? Gotta <laughs> what? have narration to be a good movie. And, and, yeah, I heard, Scorsese, no. I heard Scorsese said that. <laughs> and, and, and yeah, so, but they have like two separate intros. So they have like one to introduce the whole the Chinese ideas because it's a Russian film. Oh. Which makes this even crazier, right? It's a Russian made. Like, you're making this sound like an incredible movie, to be honest. Yeah, no, no you're, you're selling this to me. I'm yeah, what's it called? Uh, Iron Mask is the American release title. They, they have like 14,000 different names. And this isn't like Iron Mask, like uh, Dumas. Man of the Iron Mask with Leonardo DiCaprio. No. No. Okay. <laughs> no, this is just Iron Mask. It's Arnold Schwarzenegger, okay. Jackie Chan. They also they got an amazing cast, like Rudger Howard's in it. And um, freaking uh, uh, Charles Dance from Game of Thrones, and and, and from uh, last last action hero with Schwarzenegger. Yeah, no, they're going it, the Expendables route. They just bring all the old guys, who <laughs> will show up. It, it's it's crazy because so they got this this amazing cast. Um, well, and, and I they peaked. Like, and, and the movie like peaked after the 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 you know the first thirty minutes. And then it's like this really long, it, it gets it gets really slow. They have this big action overdone sequence at the end and then uh, has a very stupid final scene. And it's just like, ah, oh, well, I got through that movie. Wait, there, there's there's going to be a third one? It's going to be Bollywood India, uh, zombies. Bollywood zombies? Bollywood zombies is going to be the third one. I, I can see I can see the financing sources as you're describing the movie to me. <laughs> I don't you, you haven't talked us out of it. I'm no. just saying. I <laughs> yeah, am a blockbuster, yeah. so there's that. Have you guys ever seen Bollywood? Uh, Bollywood thriller? No. no. There's a there's a Bollywood version of thriller that I remember um, seeing a really long time ago. I have to find it and I'll like post it later. But there's a there's a really amazing like thriller thriller ripoff that's completely done with all Bollywood actors, and it's like a Is very it's, like, a very life? similar. Yeah, like a very similar video, but like, okay. I don't know. I It was pretty incredible. I remember seeing it like as a teenager and being like, holy shit. <laughs> See, we, on, on, on our podcast, we like to have people come on and bring their favorite movie for us to tell them why it's bad. And then you shit on it. Yeah. yeah. Our, our very first episode was taking a huge dump on my favorite movie. Yeah. So well, it's only fair. So it's a lot a of people good format. Yeah. like to bring their yeah, favorite like movies on. And I mean, because usually, like, we like bad movies, mm -hmm. but we'll we'll tell them like why this is socially problem, you know, like. Uh, well, every movie you could do that with, though. Like well, that's, exactly, that's, our that's show. what makes it an easy show. Okay, exactly. <laughs> like we watch a movie, we like give each other a hard time, and we talk about like why Fight Club has toxic masculinity, which is a huge surprise to nobody. And, like, Wait, we like what? It. <laughs> News to me. Yeah. Toxic. What? What? What's your what's your Lindy? Emasculation, I believe. Masculinity. That that almost happened to Taylor. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> toxic. Mascul yeah. Emasculation, I guess, would be toxic. To the male. Yeah. I mean, we were talking, they were talking about like literally 
Yeah. Surgical procedures. Well, not surgical as okay, much. Yeah. <laughs> Just the gilding isn't the living death for him. The the obviously the lobotomy is, but it's kind of funny that like the gilding probably would be the living death for him. Because then he can't yes. fuck anything. So <laughs> when, when Dr. Zayas is like a kind of living death, it's like, no, like the if you guys had like another one. <laughs> Yeah. Can I just tell y'all how weird it was to just... I, I'd seen Planet of the first one maybe twice growing up, but this was my first time watching it as an adult, and it came in hard with the tribunal scene, which was very weird. <laughs> we were not expecting courtroom drama in this in this franchise. It happens at least twice, and we're both attorneys, so oh, it was like, wait, this is it. also a legal movie? Please stop. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it was definitely uh, really strong on the like notions of justice. And through the entire the, the sequels, there was usually some sort of tribunal and they had to make their case and like different people had their ideas of what justice was. I mean, it was oh, very the like... lawyer shenanigans was ridiculous. Yeah. Although shout out to Jocelyn, who is my cousin. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like every episode I get closer to telling the Bill Pullman story that I that I one day I'm going to tell on this podcast. But he's the first. Uh, Are there legal know. ramifications for you telling it? No, I have the video on my Facebook somewhere. It, uh, he was the first celebrity I ever uh, I ever interviewed, and um, mm -hmm. I for, well the first thing I said to him is uh, I was I was like I was going through like three days of interviews that I was doing different roles on because I was uh, volunteering at a film festival in Woodstock. And he had his movie there. And like at one point I was like holding the camera. At one point I was like doing like the, the mic, like just a whole bunch of different stuff. Cause it was like a college class that we were like, kind of like interning as uh, people that did short videos for a, um, for, for like the website or whatever. And um, I, I was trying to explain uh, to him that, well, first of all, I had taken like, I had taken like Vivance at the beginning of the day to get through it because it was like the third day in a row of, uh, of, of this and it was like you know i was in the middle of college i was in the middle of finals and i also agreed to do this so i like i was talking like trying to like so he was like he was like i'm trying to remember the name of this movie and i was like rattling off names of movies and he turned around and like looked looked at me and he was like forrest this is an interview i'm the one getting interviewed like <laughs> so he was like he was like i'm can you cut this out like is this and i was like yeah, I'm going to be editing this later and he was like okay just making sure and then went back to like trying to figure out the name of the movie um <laughs> this is live <laughs> what a man so i have that video on my facebook um but and the, what was the movie you were trying to think of well it was just another movie that was playing at the uh, uh there's an animated movie that he was trying he was like you know the movie with the there was a movie like an animated movie with the dog or something and he was trying <laughs> to explain it and and i was like trying to look read the list of like movies that were playing and i don't know i i'll 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 play it one day or maybe today i don't know <laughs> He, uh, but he like afterwards, he was like, you know, I'm just fucking with you. Like, and I was like, yeah. But the first thing I had said to him was like, I love space balls. And he's like, yeah, it holds up. Right. And then, so maybe, you know, setting it up that way was why he decided to roast me in the middle of the interview. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I like space balls. I love space balls. That's like a good. Who doesn't uh, like space balls? I've never seen it. I thought you guys did it. <laughs> I mean, it it's a bad movie, right? Right. right. <laughs> like, no, no, the fact that you guys are lawyers explains how you have this evil power to just completely tear apart any movie. You just find its, uh, you uh -huh. know, 
And you you would take a position and you find the chink and boom, that's genius. And <laughs> exactly. I, I, and sometimes you take you. different positions and then it gets real nasty. Uh-huh. <laughs> Every you can't episode buy your own. Be blessed. Yeah. Every See, you, guys, you guys ruined crossover potential though. Because you know, now I know that that's the that's the gimmick of it. So I'm gonna come with it's a movie. In the that, name like, of the podcast. That. Yeah, yeah but like, it could mean multiple. It could mean that you're oh, watching the- movies. It could mean you're doing what Andy's doing, going into watching bad movies with the, the sole purpose of being like, yeah, this is a bad movie, but I enjoyed it. Well, we yeah. do that sometimes. The, the name right. is fairly definitive. These are <laughs> bad mm-hmm. movies. Mm-hmm. Not we're going to talk like these are bad movies, but sorry if we hurt your feelings. Anyway, we're just having fun. No, sometimes I pick <laughs> movies on purpose just to alienate the audience. Well, she gave me a lot of shit. I admire that. I, I enjoyed the Girl with the Dragon Tattoo series. You you earned it. This was so bad, but, you know, I like gratuitous action sometimes. Oh, and gratuitous other things. Well, do you believe in the concept of a guilty pleasure? Yeah. But, I mean, you would you still feel that you should feel guilty about certain things, but then still enjoy it? Sam no, more that. that I know that other people would like me to be guilty. Ah, uh, I see. You, you social... looked pretty darn guilty during that recording, I must say. Yeah, well, being watched by someone who is going to judge me is a little bit hard. <laughs> I mean, there we have lived through a total collapse of the notions of high and low art. I feel like I'm standing on the wall saying, like, some of that is still valuable. But, you know, that's... Well, that's why now we have a movie guy and a film guy. You know, exactly. we have Capitalism, I'm like capitalism on the gives you choice, right? Yeah. It fosters creativity. Something Paper or plastic. But, <laughs> but no, but I personally will veg out to the latest whatever DC animated movie or something with, you know, no uh, compunctions whatsoever. Do I think it's anything of a social or artistic redeeming value? No, of course not. Uh, but I still feel like if as long as I keep a little bit of guilt alive, then I'm still I'm not totally lost to the flattening of everything. Yeah, you you get our podcast. (laughs) (laughs) You get it. Yeah, there's very very few movies on These Are Bad Movies that we don't like. Nice. I love it. Matthew goes on uh, Majority Report, though, and then Sam Cedar will just shit on, you know, his his choice of guilty pleasure. And, you know, I mean, how how many years has it been happening now that that's that's the formula? Well, that he's shitting on me. You know, the, the real gimmick of that show is that I tell his audience of political junkies to watch something that's artistic and difficult. And yeah. I try to sell it to them. And then they all go like, all right, maybe I'll watch it. I mean, sometimes they love it, and but Sam never watches it. But lately, he wants to talk to me about Marvel movies and like, don't you think they're terrible? And aren't they ruining the, the world? And I actually enjoy them for what they are. I don't think they're great. I don't think they're art. They're, but they're entertainment that granted i'm culturally programmed by 30 40 years of comic book consumption to like yeah but he wants to drag me into that and i have to sort of you know we've had a few back and forth on that so he shits like when i start to defend them he's like yeah they are what they are then he's then he starts the shitting but normally well, you, gotta, you, gotta to like the on, uh, you gotta start going on the rubin report and you know you could be dave rubin's uh, too many high level, level important ideas i <laughs> my brain would have to be in recovery mode completely I don't think I would fit. <laughs> no, look, I'm I'm out, I'm out here to, to to tell the film guy message to whoever will listen to it. There are still, you know, serious movies that risk being pretentious and saying something authentic and earnest out there being made by people who aren't just trying to steal fifteen fifty from your pocket or whatever. Um, there, that does still exist. It's you know, it's endangered species, but 
still valuable, but that doesn't mean I don't also enjoy an eight. Uh oh, what happened? Oh no, I'm just putting up a a, a link for the next. Uh, okay, I thought I was getting gonged. See, is there one out right now? That's one of the that's one of the few uh, bad things about Streamyard is that it, when you put a link up, it automatically goes to like the full the full screen version of it. I see. Um, Mr. Film Guy, we want to know what's your recent. Yeah, what's out right pick? now? What do we go watch? Well, I've been telling everybody to go see another round, the Thomas Vinterberg. Oh my goodness! Movie. With Matt Nicholson? Mm, or am I, don't I think-, think so? Is he in the cast? It's a. Uh, it's um. Is it a foreign it, film? Yep. It's a. Yeah, he's in the cast. Oh yeah, yeah. That's Mad Mick- Mickelson's film, right? Mad, Mad Mickelson. About the, yeah. the drinking. Yes, yeah. they have that. They run this experiment. They're sort of middle-aged teachers who are at a midlife crisis, and they run this experiment to get their blood alcohol level always at 0.6, and you know shenanigans ensue, shall I say? But it it's a, it's sneaky deep, and it really was like a, a life-affirming, soul-searing kind of movie. That by the end, I was just like, I couldn't believe how much I loved it. Um, I've only so, heard good things about it. That's an easy one. That's for sure. Go and see. But you know what? You can also uh, they're going to watch me on it. Letterboxd they're going to dissect it. No, 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 we can't. All right. Yeah, but I could, I could, I could, she loves Mads Mikkelsen. <laughs> it would be pretty, it would be pretty easy to tear that one apart ultimately, you know, but it's still great. And to me, the, the more earnest and the more genuine something is in a lot of ways, the easier it is to make fun of it. Uh, and I'm not just talking about me on the playground as a child, uh, but you know, <laughs> well, these we've, things- had, we've had movies where it was like too easy to make fun of. And it kind of made us just stop and say, you know, this might actually not be funny. Right. Like, he's already dead. Yeah. Like, yeah, this is this poor, this poor horse. Leave it alone. <laughs> that's, why, that's why I'm coming on you guys' podcast and bringing the room. And then, Ooh, yeah. I've never seen it. You've yeah, never I've seen never seen room? it either. I've never seen it either. Under How? It's the most amazing movie of all time. It's a great movie. Yeah, it's, yeah. It's, you gotta watch. They are it. all lying to you, Amanda. No, I'm I'm, I'm aware of what this movie is. It's amazing because, like, like what's beautiful about this movie is that every single choice is wrong. Like every like the photos on the counter, the choice is wrong, but it's so amazingly wrong. You have to watch it and pay attention to all the details of the movie because. Because how can one man make a movie with with just making the wrong choices the entire well, time? Tommy Wiseau, and he doesn't quite like he doesn't quite connect. Like you can tell in every interview, like he doesn't quite connect with humanity. It's or like outsider like, art. Yeah. What was what was the one where they did like the story of the room? The, the disaster, disaster artist. Oh, yeah, I watched yeah. about James Franco, also an movie. Apes movie alumni. Oh my god! Oh. Don't get me started on Franco. Does anyone ever talk about that that first reboot? I mean, I feel like nobody talks about that one yeah, anymore. That one was actually almost yeah. a film. I, I, I would argue. It almost is. Yeah, you're right. <laughs> it, it's you know it, what I loved about that one was the fact that they had the whole subplot about Taylor going up into space, like, like on the TV. And I'm just like, oh, that's clever. That's that's clever right there. Yeah, there were a lot of Easter eggs through the entire like nine movies. There are a lot of Easter eggs to each other mm-hmm. and to the original book and even to, uh, you know, cameos from, I think, the woman that played Nova showed up in the, the Tim, Burton, Tim Burton Although one. we did not see her. Oh, really? Yeah. Um, it, it, they just kept. 
Yeah, Very self-referential. That that mm-hmm. makes sense because that's basically what franchises are now. It's like, remember that thing you used to like? Here's mm-hmm. that guy from it. And, oh, we forgot to write the movie. But, but this other guy from the thing, remember? There he is. Yeah. Yeah. That across decades. I mean, you know, like, it's all across several decades. Like, that's a, but uh, I mean, uh, you know. Go, go back to Superman. Um, they had, the like, the people who played, uh, you know, Lois Lane on that train that uh, Superboy was running next to. Um, like, like it's, it's nothing new. Yeah. I don't remember that. So I'll give, I'll, I'll give you that one. When it's <laughs> nine movies, you're just looking at a whole lot of movie and a whole lot of reference. And a whole lot of ape. And yeah. don't do it in a week. I don't know why we did that in a week. You watched all the new ones too? We watched yeah. everything. We watched nine out of nine movies. Oh my God. She I made w- me put the TV and- series down. <laughs> Would not Was this during a court case? Like, were, were people on the stand and you're no okay is somebody dead now because you watched all night yeah. no uh, uh, i need a i need a 20 minute recess your honor we, we work in real estate y'all yeah. oh, okay. been, like did somebody lose their house because you were watching a no okay, all right. <laughs> making sure no there's more than one kind of real estate no we do the boring kind of law so that we can do interesting things with the are you sure that's not a charleston heston line there's more than one type of real estate <laughs> <laughs> You know, I'll let him have it. You take <laughs> my real estate from my cold, dead hands. <laughs> See, I don't like that Charles Nesson. I like the early, uh, I like the early uh, nihilistic Charles Nesson. The early funny one. Yeah, the, the the NRA one is just you know, it's just Clint Eastwood is the fucking reboot now. Like it's it's mm-hmm. no, it's no yeah. different. I will say the last time we saw the the the, the nihilistic Charlton Heston was uh, True Lies. And then, like after that, he disappeared. Yeah, I think he just went full NRA after that. Yeah, but but it was like it was it was great because it was just like oh, it's the old. That's what we're missing. It's Jeff Charlton Heston with the eye patch and the scar. Right, right. Wasn't he kind of like Big Boss, Metal Gear Solid style Charlton Heston? Yeah, 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 yeah. No, it was great. It was like he was like threatening Schwarzenegger. That's right. What would happen is they finally lobotomized him. And then he followed, he followed, you know, he followed Reagan into the void. So he finally, you know, they finally cut into his brain, which is my way of transitioning back to, uh, you know, our full, our full Planet of the Apes discussion where um, <laughs> I wanted to, I wanted to play this. I found it uh, really interesting. It's, it's Kim Hunter uh, talking about um, how intensive it was to put on that, like all of the, the uh, ape, ape costume, I guess, which, you know. I, in fact, I asked my agent, I said, you know, look, they, they seem to be real apes. I suppose there's going to be some sort of makeup. So how are they going to manage that? He said, oh, don't worry. They'll put bits of fur here and there on you. And, you know, they're, they're very clever at 20. I had no idea what I was in for. No idea at all. Describe that. What was it? Boy, I was called out, you know, to check out costumes. Makeup and costumes. Makeup yeah. and costumes sort of thing. I got out there and... The first thing was uh, having a, a mask, uh, what do they call it, a life mask, death mask, right. something or other. Got through that experience just with John Chambers, who was the designer of the makeup. Mm-hmm. And uh, then uh, then came the actual doing of the makeup. Every day. The first time was, no, that was no testing. And uh, that took... Oh God, the first time I think it was over five hours because uh, it was all new for, I mean, they'd been working on 
the appliances for six months longer. But uh, this is the first time on the actors <laughs> themselves. And uh, then I was mostly Roddy myself. We got before a camera. Roddy McDowell. Yes, Roddy McDowell uh, and talking and so forth. And the sound people were not happy at the beginning. And so Roddy and I were sent to a sound studio and worked like crazy, the two of us, to figure out how to get through the appliances without it sounding nasal or odd, that it would sound perfectly the way it should sound. So you're wearing the masks and trying out the Oh, yeah. Uh, they weren't masks. They were appliances. I think three, four different kinds of glue hmm. that, uh, for different reasons. I mean, certainly around the mouth, it had to be flexible enough uh, uh, to Sweet. allow our mouths to function underneath. And... Uh, so each day in the set, when it came down to shooting eventually, you were spending how much time in makeup before and after performance? Oh, when we finally got to shoot it, this was a month or two later, um, after what? all this testing. What we had to see? teach other chimps when we got finally to the set and gorillas and everybody else how to talk, <laughs> including Morris Evans. Huh. But um, uh, no, we'd, I'd, I'd have to get to the studio at, say, 4 o'clock in the morning. Uh, in order to be ready to shoot at 8. Hmm. And then, say, we'd finish shooting at 7 o'clock at night. I wouldn't get home until 9, at least. Uh, so they were long days. Also, I did beg the production people uh, to please schedule the shooting so that uh, the 8s don't have to get into the appliances more than four days running. Because by the end of the fourth day, our faces looked as if we had measles. Anyway, you know, getting the, the, all of the, the glue off. Because you had to do it with alcohol. You couldn't do it with acetone or anything. That would have killed us. Really. But even with alcohol, it, it was... Um, um, I, well, I, I learned... They brought in dermatologists who didn't have the foggiest idea to tell us how to deal with it. <laughs> or, Dedication. Or Kim Hunter. Yeah. No, I, I, I felt like I needed to play that for solidarity, to be honest. Uh, she. <laughs> What's your morning regimen? <laughs> I mean, she she just seems like, you know, the, the dedication of that, I, I feel like, needs to be uh, put put out there. Because, <laughs> you know, CGI, like, what the fuck are you doing? Putting on a fucking green screen suit and then, you know what I mean? Like, going in front of something and then somebody later, like, you know, like, animates it. Like, you know, I, I feel like putting on like an actual like uh, a full a full like get up and makeup and you know like fur like it's it's pretty it's pretty insane. I I, I miss when like I mean not I guess I was mostly you know been alive during the uh, during the CGI years, but you know I I, I brag. wish we still <laughs> I, I wish I do. So hmm? so the the yeah. epitome of of film quality is. Jim Carrey's How the Grinch Stole Christmas. <laughs> <laughs> it's been all downhill since then. I see the connection, yeah, with the, yeah. <laughs> uh, that's that's one of the why reasons every why... episode, we almost never do an episode together. <laughs> it's, it's actually why, why I've really been enjoying the uh, the new Star Trek series, where, where they actually uh, have still doing the the full makeup with Doug Jones, who who just shines um, in... in uh, I work you know, for Doug Jones! Uh, oh, wow. No, you know, remember when you <laughs> Robocop and he's like, 
Yes. <laughs> I work for Dick Jones. Oh, I thought you were serious there for a second for us. So I was like, what? No. No. Um, yeah, well, no, yeah, that's because the RoboCop. No, the, the alien uh, from um, uh, Pan's Labyrinth was going to kill him, so he's shouting out, I work for Doug Jones, so he <laughs> let him live. You guys are silly. <laughs> back back to the makeup, though. I, 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 did anyone else notice a serious drop in the quality of the actual like facial movements by the time of the second movie? Yeah. Like, yes. yeah. yes. yeah. It, was the, it was the budget dip. Yeah, they they just had to like you know get that thing out uh, was my understanding. Um, I was like obsessed with it. Straight up, just like a costume that the person must have put on, like it doesn't. Yeah, like a party rental gorilla suit. They got into the two thousand one Space Odyssey costumes. Yeah, I'm sure they were just the same costumes passed on until they fell apart between productions. I mean, what else could they have been used for? Some of them look like some of them are like Planet of the Apes, like Halloween costumes, like whatever they had like put out, you know, after the how well the first movie. <laughs> yeah, did. Roddy McDowell took his home. He's like, I like to wear this around. Um, <laughs> Apparently, then, Roddy McDowell wasn't in the the second one. I think is the only one Roddy McDowell wasn't in. That's um, correct. Which, they, yeah. Because they spent all their money on uh on Heston. Yeah. So I read somewhere something pretty interesting that at least in the first movie, with all of the the makeup and behind the scenes production the cast self segregated based on human versus ape because they were so influenced by the costumes and did the gorillas and the chimpanzees and the orangutans also break off my reading did not get that far all right that would be something is there like a like a psychology or sociology dissertation about that or something? I feel like there's some academic thesis yeah. that explores that somewhere. It's like a classroom experience experiment like a, where they say the people with brown eyes. Mm, yes. You know. Or the or the prison one where they like tell you know they, yeah. they told those kids that like yeah yeah <laughs> the Planet I, of the Apes experiment. I, I I do I do like the fact that the plot of the second one is pretty much that. Dr. Zayas is obviously afraid that the gorillas are going to uh, wage wage like a military coup at some point if he doesn't find the right thing, which makes it like, which opens up the possibility that like the CIA had survived somehow the, uh, you know, survived <laughs> the nuclear blast. And like, I, I don't know whether it's like, I don't know, because I've been doing a, a, a CIA book deep dive. Like I've been reading like a, you know, a ton of, a ton of just random like CIA histories. Should so you I'll be putting that out on the internet that you're doing that? Okay. I mean, as I, soon as you said that, I'm just imagining like a seventies movie, like Zordoz, like what the CIA would be. It'd be like, you know, uh, something completely abstracted. And the person from the 20th century realizes it's the CIA and, and can't get out. And it becomes like the prisoner. Um, <laughs> but, the, but the first movie, at least they, they, they goes to great lengths to establish that, the, the the ape laws are there so they don't repeat the mistakes of the humans, right? They, they're keeping the technology mm -hmm. level down and the religious sort of fundamentalism up, right? To hopefully forestall what the ancient apes knew was the humans thirst for knowledge. And, you know, it's the Frankenstein story all over again. And the, in this, by the second one, they're just like flirting with, you know, screw it. We got to go find whatever's out there. 
<laughs> yeah, I felt like that was kind of a, like a backtrack backtrack from the first movie, right? Because the first movie was making some pretty damning com uh, commentary about human nature and how we are bound to destroy ourselves. And maybe they're right. Maybe the apes do deserve to inherit the world. And the second movie's like, you know what? No, 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 no. Let's like make the apes just as bad as the humans and make the same folly. And look, they blow up the world now. I right. know we're jumping ahead to the second movie, but Spoiler yeah. alert. It, it was less radical than the, the 68 movie. It was. Well, Charles Nesson blows up the world. True. As true. revenge, right? As he's uh, No, it's it was almost like he's like, Well, I don't like any of the people in this room, so let's <laughs> let everyone burn. Right. If I'm going, I'm taking everything with me. Yeah. Uh, That's I mean, that ego again. His ego refuses to die. I've ever seen. Supporting the theory that the original human society was just trying to get him off the planet. <laughs> It's a madhouse. Yeah. yeah that's There's always like too. 20 people in this room that are trying to kill each other. And he's like, end it now. <laughs> well, and don't forget, all they all you, have these mental powers. Mm. All of you fucking suck. I'm out. You're all out. We're all out. Yeah. Oh, but isn't that the um, ultimate, uh, the, the ego just thinks like when I'm gone, everything's gone. So he, he yeah. just made sure that that was the case. Like, yeah. That, I mean, he was like the worst hero character I've seen it in a long time because it's just so exaggerated. Like he literally destroys the world because he loses the fight. I mean, I guess this is sort of like 60, late 60s. The anti-hero is sort of starting in cinema, right? We're not quite, I was Wild Bunch, maybe this same year, 68. I'm not sure, you know, where, you know, where Vietnam syndrome is creeping in and the heroes are now tainted and sort of morally corrupt, but he's not quite there. But I, that one scene at the beginning where he said the guy, one guy sets up the flag and he just goes <laughs> like this really evil, like Skeletor laugh at him. That I was, love that. That was unbelievable. One of my favorite scenes. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Your symbols, your tribal identifications. I laugh. Well, see, that's well, what I didn't understand either is, is, you know, was he supposed to be an anti-hero or were we supposed to hate the idea of apes taking superiority over humans so much that we liked that he right them. He, we should identify with the humans, but listen, even in all the other sequels, I was rooting for the apes the whole time. Exactly. So <laughs> um, I, I don't even know, like, were we supposed to be rooting for him or the apes? Like, I don't know if he was supposed to be a bad guy or not there. I know it was. So, I think that was some tension, all the different writers and all the different versions uh -huh. it went through. And then his, his contract probably said, I have to be the hero. Well, uh, just to put it in context, this is a year after Bonnie and Clyde. Yo, okay, well, there you go. I swear to you, I just <laughs> looked that up to make that point. I have a, a Bonnie and Clyde. Uh, Same here. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, literally, I literally just had looked that up with the, with the intention of, look, I haven't touched my keyboard whatsoever. And <laughs> I see something happening. <laughs> see, I have Bonnie. Like, yeah, that is sort yeah. of the, the demarcation of the sort of the new Hollywood yeah, which is an interesting demarcation because they both had to kind of die at the end, like which is still the the Hayes Code. Yeah. Like, you know, I mean, yeah, if, if you were if you were an antihero, like you couldn't make it through the end of the movie, right? But they also well, died. Even in if he had been the hero, he set off a nuke, so death regardless. Ego death, fine, because <laughs> now the whole planet's surrounded by it, his ego, you know. But I do have to hand it to them for the sheer amount of talent it took to get a third movie 
after the second movie ended with the destruction of everything. The gall on it, right? Like, just, wow, they're really going for another film. And it's a comedy for the first half. Yeah. I mean, one of the three chimps that lands on Earth is killed summarily, and it's not treated seriously at all. Like, it is a gag death. (laughs) Well, it's kind of referencing the first. I mean, it's referencing the first yeah, movie. It's, it's a but, mirror of the first one, but yeah. But when it's chimps, it's played for laughs. Yeah, uh, until it, you get to the end of the movie Jesus. when it's very serious and very sad. But, yeah. but I was uh, reading about that. I don't know, Andy, if you're going to say the same thing about that that third ape. Andy, um, I was just going to make a reference. Milo, Milo. Andy's uh, yeah, Doctor Milo. Uh, making these and just telepathically like pushing these ideas onto us i think oh I are you one of the mutants are you one of the mutants from the beneath the planet yeah. of the apes andy uh, i'm part of you're, CIA gonna, you're gonna reveal your mask yeah yes uh, i was just gonna say uh sal minio is the actor for dr milo in that film and apparently he hated the makeup and he wanted out of the film so they basically killed him off early and they had to rewrite the script apparently oh, that, wow. that's at least what i was reading about it so. what a cut the other two have been for two whole better. fucking movies of that, you know? I love it. I just laughed. It's funny. <laughs> um, yeah. The, the other thing that I think is pretty cool um, throughout the three movies is that, like, the first, I mean, the one of the most referential things, obviously, is, uh, I can't remember if it's Haslan is the, is the doctor in the third one. He's the one who, in the, in the first movie, has obviously made the theory about time travel in the first place. Um, the direct, so they reference him a bunch of times when they're like, oh, like that, you know, his theory must have held up. And then the guy's like, oh, you still have to prove his theory. And then he kind of makes the theory on TV during the third movie and then becomes the villain, which is an interesting uh, use of a character throughout three movies that doesn't appear in the first two whatsoever. He's like Job of the Hut. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe. <laughs> is he like, uh, is he like Silky's? <laughs> Um, I mean, they did land in water, so maybe. All right, because no, you have to connect this because this is episode ten. Okay, honestly, I didn't watch the 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 sequels. You know, as uh, I haven't seen them in twenty years. Um, twenty years ago, I went in this weird obsession. You can't use that that out. You have to somehow connect this to everybody being mermaids at the end. I will work on that. What did, okay, what so we had so we had Doug Lane from Zero Books um, on a few weeks ago, and we watched Local Hero, the Bill Forsyth movie, and like in the middle of uh, Doug, which apparently this was Doug's favorite movie, and throughout like so Alert, Andy ladies. suddenly uh, Andy suddenly blurts out um, that he was like, and that's why they were mermaids the whole time, and Doug Lane looked at him like, what the fuck? So every single movie since that movie. Andy's had to somehow connect it to people being mermaids the entire time. I did that with Dune. Yeah. <laughs> I feel like the the Planet of the Apes um, canon really does give a lot of room for interpreting some of this stuff however you want to, <laughs> truly. Like, like the Bible. Yeah. <laughs> like the, uh, the, ape, uh, the ape laws, you know? Given by the lawgiver, of course, um, at the beginning of of time. Yeah, but is um, Caesar the lawgiver, or is the lawgiver Proteus? Like, I think they the mythology breaks down a little bit there. 
Well, and his name was Milo in the third movie. And then they changed it to Caesar in the fourth. Yeah. But it was Cornelius in the first one. No. I just watched it. We're talking about different monkeys. Yeah, different. First of all, they're apes. That's speciesist. But yes, (laughs) you're right. They're different. Everyone on the stream is fucking racist. Speciesist. The the last bastion. No tail. No tail. That's how you can tell they're not. Ah, okay. Just like Charlton Heston getting no tail. (laughs) Nothing worse than getting ape splained. Sorry about that. (laughs) (laughs) I'll put it on the board. But yeah, I don't, I don't know. Are we dealing with a um, predestination paradox where the the first begins the last, or is it a branch off of the timeline that once they go back after the destruction of Earth, there can be a new path? They sort of talk about that. They say it's like roads, and you can turn off one, right? So they they muse over the many worlds theory. But I don't, I couldn't tell, and your memory might be better than mine. What evidence they gave for it being, you know they are creating this future world. I, yeah. I think if you're looking at the first five movies, it's probably more of a predestined time loop kind of a deal. No, no. But mm-mm. if you bring in all nope. the other ones, then mm. it's alternate timelines. So yeah, the, for, put the other ones aside. Put the other ones. I'm just third movie. one universe. Yeah. Tim Burton's is time, has multiple timelines. So let's yes. be clear. Yes. <laughs> exactly. His is the one that's actually like the book, though. Um, the, fir- the third movie... Um, there was supposed to be a dog cat virus that happened in the 90s and by the fourth oh, movie as there was that, they show the statue the yeah dedicated and to the dogs in the cats. fourth movie the dog cat virus happens but it's synonymous with taylor leaving which is supposed to happen in the 70s yeah it no, is. because in, the third in the one third, is in the 90s already left because they're asking cornelius and what's her name about taylor yeah but that's that's like still before the 90s it happens earlier and that's that's like what did, did it give a year on the it the didn't give a year memorial? it, it, it said something like 20 years ago and that was 1973 so i guess that was yeah. and i just wanted to add it's also on my birthday that opening scene so you know uh Whoa. like years before a couple years before i was born so you know just like you know i'm watching it uh, i was watching it earlier today i'm just like yo that's my birthday yeah <laughs> Your fate's tied in with this somehow. I know. That's probably why I was obsessed with it back in my 20s. I, I even Wait, wrote what, what thing happens on your birthday? Which part of it? The, the very first scene, whenever you, they show the the uh, the date, it said July 14th, 1973, which is um, or, 73 or 72. Somewhere I was born there. in 77. So, like, you know, it's it's a couple of years oh, before, okay. my, uh, yeah. uh, before my birthday anyway. So, But it's like it's on my birthday. So, you know, he it kind of stood out to me. Half, he's the chosen half human, half ape. <laughs> Me, yeah, I, I even wrote a screenplay, a romantic comedy involving you know a character who's obsessed with Planet of the Apes, and so was screaming about the human, monkey takeover. Is being half human, half ape, uh, kind of similar to being a mermaid? Yeah, well, I got to put on my my monkey suit and uh, become <laughs> ape ape on top. <laughs> they call him they call him a uh, J Andrew Monkey Guy World. That's, you know, that's that's why they that's why they call him that. You know, you guys, uh, the, the lawyers, uh, did you catch the literal tableau of the hear no evil, speak no yes, evil? Yes, we did. Right? Yes. They're literally sitting there. Yeah. I, I was cringing and, yeah. and yeah. appreciating the film at the same time. It was right? very like, Star Trek. That's, 
they're trying it's like it's like bad teenage poetry there's like some earnestness there but it's just so awkward and ham-fisted yeah, well, like courtroom scenes <laughs> are you ever tempted to sit in court like one like this and one <laughs> i have actually <laughs> they also had uh they had they had human c they had human c human do oh which which i love the line where they had like dude with a new york accent going you know, saying that, like, you know what they say, human yeah. see, human do. Yeah. No, it's nice to know Brooklyn still exists in the far flung future. <laughs> Brooklyn of the 50s. Uh, I also. Yeah. I want to yeah. see, like, the monkey soprano now. Like, like you know, play, give me Planet of the Apes the Sopranos. Well, they're making a Sopranos movie, so you might get it. Mm. I was just really weirded out by the technology of the apes in the first movie. Um, I was more weirded out than you were. No, because Stolen you were the Valor. one who came with the you were the one who came <laughs> with the conclusion that they just had budget cuts, so decided to make them look more no, backwards. No, than no, they no. Were. no, that's what happened. But that still doesn't explain them not understanding at all. Oh yeah, aviation concepts. Because the the fact <laughs> that they had guns airplane, yeah. and and boats, although I didn't see any sails, but that, like. A paper plane wows them and totally breaks open a new avenue of science. I don't buy it. Well, I got the sense that the inner circle apes knew about it to keep it down. And they were the ones trusted with enough. And he was there to squelch it. Except children exist in this universe. They're going to figure it out. So oh, unless they're brain, unless they're just giving concussions to all the little apes and chimpettes. No, they're giving them indoctrination and and you know fascist dictatorship. That's just as thou good. shall not play. That's right. Yeah, the monkey uprising was just not good for freedoms. I wish you would really stop saying monkey. Now I'm really getting offended on behalf <laughs> of the species. It's the planet of the apes. There's not one. Take a monkey. look at my name. Take a look I, at my I, name. I your name, and I I represent. It's, that's because you confuse everything with monkeys. I see. Yes. I call them monkeys too, don't worry. Yeah, monkeys. <laughs> All right, it's it's one to two. Jeremy? Well, but, okay, but, but, wait, I, was it a fascist uh, dictatorship? No, it was a caste system. It was a, what do you call it? It was a a, a religious, you know, it's a theocracy, yeah. basically. Yeah, yeah, theocratic, quasi-medieval state, right? I thought they were doing that with the, the courtroom drama, just in yeah, terms of is. like Galileo and science and, you know, just the I kind of like uh, I mean, you can... trial. Yes, yes. I yes. thought they were kind of referencing yes. that a little bit. They were having heresy trials. It went orangutan, chimpanzee, gorilla, man. If I recall correctly. Yeah. And then they sort of dropped it. And the, the minister of science was also the defender of the faith, you know, mm -hmm. and they had that little mm -hmm. discussion about how those things are normally <laughs> considered opposite. But, you know, listen, we're getting there every day. Well, somewhere it was like it was weirdly placed in in a time where number one it was somehow the Renaissance in, in the first movie, but also they had you know there were uh, it was after a nuclear blast, but also like it just seems like there's like they're doing a lot with it, like placing it in terms of um, where on like a, a human time scale this stuff would be because kind of well, they had firearms that looked pretty well oiled and you know maintained, and they had pretty good medical technology. Oh yeah, they were doing blood transfusions and right. and. Yeah. and Lobotomies, all kinds of open surgeries on people and keeping them around. Yeah. Well, lobotomies didn't happen. I mean, lobotomies were still happening in the 60s. I mean, you know what I mean? Like, like 
that hadn't really faded away fully as a, um, you know, as something that, that would be a, considered like a real type of surgery. But they may have had germ theory because the, uh, the other veterinarian is complaining or no, he's not complaining, but there's a whole conversation about how dirty the vet surgery room is. But they still managed to keep all these people around and alive despite, you know, opening them up. I think they were washing their hands. Germ theory, you're telling me they don't understand a paper airplane. Well, that's a good point. Go go back to the Civil War. They had germ theory in Europe at the time, uh, and it was known in America. He was building helicopters. (laughs) But he never flew any, did he? Yeah, but they were amazed that a piece of paper went whoosh. Yeah. But to be but, fair, but also Dr. Zayas, Dr. Ancient Zayas Egyptians like, could fly uh, paper airplanes. That's they what had, I'm saying, and they didn't have guns. But we, but, we, had, dark, we had dark ages that wiped a lot of The thing is, though, the ancient Egyptians were more advanced than us because they had alien technology. You would think that the <laughs> apes would be better at origami because they've got four sets of opposable thumbs. Mm-hmm. But they could have also they could have also hidden that aspect of, of, of the children will bring the truth to the table koalas have four sets of opposable thumbs on two hands yeah, yeah but koalas are really i would 100 percent watch pl- pl- uh, planet of the koalas by the way yes no, there's nothing happening <laughs> I, I did watch playmate of the apes what was that playmate what was that playmate of the apes is that uh, what i think it is, is yes no version of you did your homework. Yeah, okay. I did my homework. I didn't watch the sequels. I did watch. They that. thought they watched a lot. You really. <laughs> for science, it's right? It's it was for good. science. I would have, I would have gone with. I would have gone with Penis of the Apes personally. Just, you know, there's a lot of lesbians in it, so you know. Huh. <laughs> in terms of this debate about the technology and the various levels of technology, I think we've clearly now crossed the Rubicon of thinking more about this movie than anybody who had anything to actually do with making it. Uh, you know. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> All right. So you guys want to watch uh, the Black Bear uh, trailer and see. Um, Matt oh, what a, yeah. what a surprise. What a, okay. Bring it on. I mean, I've seen it, but it's pretty good. <laughs> oh, you've seen it? I thought this was your first but, time. For them. Let, it's you know, I, thought I, was, I thought I was introducing you to something that you've never, uh, you've never experienced. It's been, it's been a while. I have no idea what I'm about to watch. A nope. film that I edited that came out last year. No, no apes. What about Damn. monkeys? There may or may not be a bear. You're Allison? Yeah, you're Gabe? Hi, I'm Allison. Oh, I know. I'm Blair. You're really pretty. You are too. You used to be an actress and now you're a director. Why'd you give it up? I didn't. So, do you guys have a plan for this place? I don't really know what we're doing. We were living in Brooklyn, and it was getting so expensive, and we weren't really working, so... 
I figured if um, I never learned how to cook, then I would never become a housewife. You're really hard to read. Yeah, you know what? I get that all the time. Do you find it weird acting in your own films? I actually find it kind of humiliating. Roll sound. Mark. Okay, whenever you're ready. Action. You don't think she knows what I'm up to? She's oversimplifying a lot. It's just so rare to pick a real artist's brain. How can you make something if you don't have anything to say? I have something to say. I just think the movie is the only way to say it. It's like she can't stand the fact that I have a single thought about this world. No, it's that I can't stand the thoughts about the world that you have. This has been so fun. You don't love me anymore. Just leave me alone! Now I'm wondering what kind of mind games you're playing with me. He's my husband, okay? Claire, can you just calm, can you calm down a little bit? Me? I've been lying since the second I got here. <laughs> You're in I've love with her. You are. I, I know it. This is what you wanted, okay? This is going to ruin us. <laughs> okay, cut. I just want to be normal people again. That looks good. Oh, that looks like a film. That <laughs> looks like a film. We both, we, we both want to know if you are the one who edited the trailer. Exactly. No, but See, I'm in awe of the guy who did. It came out so good. I have been thinking this since the first trailer for the uh, Planet of the Apes that you played here. Whoever did the trailer for that <laughs> maybe should have worked on more of the movie. <laughs> for yeah. some reason i thought you were gonna say whoever did the trailer for that did the trailer for your movie <laughs> maybe i don't know the guy is 85 no. years old and he's yeah he... work that 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 looks like an ex exciting project you had though you guys should have a these are bad movies episode on that and then have well, Matthew on really and just <laughs> Now, only, if, um, only if he comes on to do it. Yes, that would be the only way I, I, I to a movie I know someone was connected to. Apart from the director I, and writer, my friend Larry Levine, I am the most qualified person to tear that movie the fuck apart. So yeah, that would be <laughs> I, I love it. And I'm really proud of working okay. on it. But I've seen it so many times. I could tell you everything. You should but, come on. Well, maybe I will. That sounds okay, nice. There you go. Thank you. <laughs> but please, people, go out and rent it. Uh, I think if you're in the UK, it's on Mubi right now, that website. And I think it's still on for pay-per-view at your normal streaming places, like for pay-per-view movies right now. Yeah, it looks it looks fun and interesting. I do have a question about... It's a mind bender. Which I really? like. Yeah. I have a question about your, very briefly, your sort of thought process when directing because one of the biggest signifiers to me when something is going to be a bad movie is if the director or the editor or whoever cannot keep it under two hours oh my god well i'm not i wasn't the director of this i was the editor but as the editor it fell to me to take our first cut which was like two hours and 45 minutes and get it to something manageable but but i will tell you this Okay, my two cents on this is I don't think 
there is such a thing as a movie that is too long. It's only a movie that's not mm -hmm. good enough to suspend to sustain your interest. There are movies that are too long. But if you're saying it's too long, you're you don't enjoy it for some reason. So it's just yeah. not the length. I have seen movies that are three and a half hours that are I was wrapped and I could see another three. Well, and a half that movie hours. wasn't too long for it. But right. what I'm what I'm saying is I've. It seems like there's a trend towards not like not killing your darlings, right? Like not cutting the parts that maybe you like but aren't fully supporting the story. Right. Listen, I don't know who has the balls to do that these days with the way movies are financed because we were pushed back on and and this was a writer director, Larry Levine, who has, you know, not a lot of clout, but he and he didn't have like final final cut, but they respected his opinion. He was the writer, he was the the visionary behind it, and they, everyone loved the script. So, but there was a lot of pressure to get it below two hours. I mean, we finally got it to. We actually we here's an interesting process. We cut it down to one hour and a half, and then it like it sucked. It was like too much was gone. But one of the producers sort of like said like let's just see what happens for commercial reasons, and then we wound up backing it up to about an hour and 45 and then it sort of found its natural place but you know killing your darlings is you know it's not they shouldn't be darling if you're thinking of the film as a whole and as an editor that's part of your job is to say like you know but even as you as the editor you get attached to things we worked on this for six weeks mm -hmm. you know I, right, I, right. Made, I i make it a point like i one of my uh editing heroes is a uh, walter merch and his whole thing is editors should never go to the set if you can avoid even reading the script so you don't mm -hmm. think like, oh, it's got to go like this. You just look mm -hmm. at the pile of footage and you say, how do we make the best thing we could make out of what is right here? And that I makes sense to me. I yeah, you, to were, you were also doing it a different process, if I remember correctly, because you were on set uh, editing this. Yeah, but I never actually went to the actual set to see them like, oh, we set up this crane and we did this shot. It took us two. So I would just be like, cut it. You know, and the director, he's more attached to that stuff. Like, oh, we worked on that for so long. And that's that kind of darling, you know, as mm -hmm. opposed to even just like, oh, I love this scene. There's all those other extraneous things that drive decisions. Like, that you just put too much work into it to see it come to nothing. The sunk yeah. cost fallacy. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so yeah, I would have I would have had to go to set because I would have been like, Aubrey Plaza, like I feel like her and I would like get along. We'd be we'd be good friends until she broke my heart. No, that's, that's why. That's why you weren't there. Okay. Yeah. No, but she she's actually really nice. But actually, she went to a really deep emotional place. You'll never have seen another performance like this by her. If you're a fan of hers, this is like, you know, she, Larry was showing her movies like uh, Jenna Rollins and Opening Night and Women of the Influence. This really kind of like searing personal, uh, you know, exposure of her her pain uh so she was we left her all alone like do not talk to her let her go to this place because she went to a deep dark place and it came out great on screen but you know listen i i love long movies and actually i show i try to show long movies to my film appreciation class which i'm also here to flog but um you know <laughs> I, I i try to keep it under three hours but some of my all-time favorite movies like uh, Chantel Ackerman, she made a movie called John Dealman about a woman doing housework basically for three hours. And it is one of the most genius, unbelievable, mind bending movies that was ever made. And it could not be one frame shorter because the time that you spend with it is what's rewriting your brain to notice things that by the third act, you're just hyper aware of little minutia. So oh, if you're yeah, using it right, there are it, movies like that, but yeah. not every 
movie that hits theaters needs to be two hours and two minutes or, or whatever. For like, God's sake, the, the Marvel yeah. movies are three hours long. It's just punching and punching and punching. Yeah, exactly. I, also, I mean, to, to be fair, I don't think, uh, uh, I think uh, um, the Infinity War movie or, or whichever one, I always get them confused because whatever, they all blur together. But But that last one that was three hours long was really well paced, unlike, say, like The Hobbit. You know, th th there's a big difference between like, you know, Seven Samurai and The Hobbit. And, and, well, the, and Hob the Hobbit's a great example of there's Peter Jackson, who no one's telling him to cut his movie. He has the clout mm -hmm. and the commercial sort of uh, gravitas to, okay, if you want to. And I actually put on The Lord of the Rings when I can't fall asleep. <laughs> I, <laughs> I literally fell asleep in, during the two towers in the movie theater. And that's rare for me to fall asleep in the theater. <laughs> but with The Hobbit, though, wasn't that a case of uh, uh, the. The, the studio pushing Peter Jackson to stretch it into into multiple movies and not have like a two-parter. Um, you know, the thing that they make the meme about, stretched thin like butter. He would have done that either way. If they said you could stretch this into like multiple movies, he would have done that. If I would I like recall to correctly, the original Lord of the Rings trilogy was filmed as one movie and then cut and released separately, much to the actor's dismay. Um, this is, this is actually an interesting question because we, this got brought up during our Dune stream and I didn't get to say anything because everyone was kind of, you know, I kind of sat back for a lot of that. Um, what do you guys think of the, the animated Lord of the Rings, uh, movies? Because as a kid, I remember thinking that those were like the most incredible. I, I ended up buying, uh, the, the audio, the first audio book I really bought and it was on tape. I bought the Lord of the Rings cassette tape, like cassette tape series. And there were like 20 of them. And I remember being really sick and listening to the whole thing. And then I read I read them, but like I, I don't know, I fell asleep during it's Bashki. That's all yeah. I gotta say. Like I yeah. love that dude. All that stuff, all that rotoscoping Ralph Bakshi stuff, I had a soft spot for as a kid. One of my professors in film school, one of the sound professors, uh, worked on um was it American? I forget one of the more one of the musical ones that he did. So American got, pop. American Pop, yeah, and oh, uh, love that movie, amazing. Just <sighs> that kind of animation isn't done anymore, so it's got a very. Except for like Kanye did a couple of music videos like that. Wow, I got to catch up on my Kanye. Yeah, uh, which which I don't know how he did it. I don't know if it was actually hand animated. It might have been be done cool. on computers, but like there's a guy who no one will say no to. They look good, and I'm not even a Kanye fan. You know, I'm just I appreciate the aesthetics of Kanye. This guy, uh, before we go on to something else, I like this guy made a comment here on I'm seeing on the stream that uh, Satan's tango is too short. And uh, that that is I always use that example, but that's a seven hour movie. And I actually saw that in two parts, three and a half and three and a half. And literally by the middle of the three and a half, the next part was the next night. I was ready to see the rest of it. So <laughs> if, as long as my ass holds up, uh, that movie was amazing from start to finish and what you know could you imagine watching a seven hour movie i couldn't but well i mean it. people binge tv shows but, you know, but, yeah. but see that's the thing is tv shows always give you every hour a little cliffhanger a little little sugar to keep you going to the next one it's like a drug that's designed to keep you going it's like a but comic it, book too i mean like, like that's why i've been like really digging this whole postmodern, you know the golden age of tv whatever you want to call it uh uh, you know, television nowadays, because like, 
Um, I love comic books and every panel is supposed to like lead you, you know, want you to read the next one and every end of the page wants you want to turn the next page and, and, and TV shows are starting to kind of realize that and do that now. And, and I'm completely digging that. So, so, you know, I'm not, uh, I am not against that at all. It's a, it's a science they've gotten it down to, you know, I just rewatched all of the Sopranos and uh, this time through, I was oh, focused fuck, much, yeah. much less on like, who's going to get whacked and who's going to kill who and all the other sort of, themes and, and emotional drama that went through it, but they still always leave you with something like, you know, tune in next time. And actually it reminds me of what Charlton Heston said when his, he was asked about the sequels, he talked about the, uh, those Mickey Rooney, uh, uh, 16 millimeter shorts, the, um, Oh God, I'm blanking. Oh, Andy, Andy Hardy, you know, like serials were seen as the bastard stepchild to, to serious movies. And, uh, you know, now the, the the wheel is turning a little bit and you know now movies are the disposable you know action adventures and the serious drama is you know breaking bad the wire these kinds of things well and with, yeah. and with really more recent tv shows they'll skip the previously on bit because it was made for netflix or another streaming service and released there you know all episodes at once and people will watch it all the way through like a very long movie yes or you have the option skip to recap. Skip. Yeah. yeah exactly and no, they're designed I mean, that way. Um, previously on movie night extravaganza mermaids <laughs> mermaids uh, does anyone remember okay so in in battle for the planet of the apes the cleric who's like giving the story of the this this alternative because there's a different history right by the time you get to that like man and ape somehow like coexist and and the nuclear uh thing didn't happen the earth doesn't blow up uh the uh, the actor was he in the lord of the rings animated was he gandalf he just he kind of sounds like you know what I'm talking about the the cleric actor and like unmound and blah 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 that guy sounds like Gandalf from the animated Lord of the Rings. That's and I was just thinking ball. that because I said that about a week and a half ago when I watched uh, Battle. So just curious. That's like the big reveal at the end that you can <laughs> and the humans are still there with the apes, right? Yeah. Did yes. you watch after yes. the credits? Uh, I I don't I don't think I did. <laughs> It's there. I'm joking. It's not. <laughs> the big reveal is that, you know, a lot of the apes actually are humans because, you know, they're just wearing really shitty costumes and the budget has gone <laughs> down so much that they're just able to, like, go to the lot, like, put on a, a, a fake ape costume and they're like, we're here. And then everyone's like, huh. You just, you broke, you just broke the first rule of Planet of the Apes Club. <laughs> you don't talk about the costumes. You don't. You well, that'd be pretty meta. Like in the second movie, the 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 mutants take off their their faces, and then at the end of the battle, that let the apes take off their faces. <laughs> at the, at the, end, the other, other was human all along, and yeah. no! <laughs> and it's Charlton Heston as an old man. And he says, <laughs> and he says, if you knew how to use guns the right way, then none of this would have happened. And Responsible gun ownership. And he's like, N NRA, join today. We you could know? get a reboot going between this group here, and I don't it, would, want it would shine. I don't, want I, don't, I don't want to either. I don't want to either. I'll, we should CG mocap old Charlton Heston as punished Charlton Heston with the eye, eye patch, and he goes back to the Planet of the Apes for a vengeance or something along those lines. I would watch that. Yeah. yeah he if has it like was under two hours, I might give it a chance. You've watched four Planet of the Apes movies. I think it's clear there's not much we wouldn't watch 
So <laughs> at this point, Charles Nesson comes in with sixty guns, a bunch of like fat redneck guys that are like and like lifetime NRA members, and he's like, "Let's fuck shit up." Yeah, you know? I would watch that. I'd watch. Well, they, that. they did clearly. I watched that. I watched all of them. <laughs> they did make about? a movie recently with a lookalike to um, uh, Charles Bronson. So you know, maybe we could find a lookalike of uh, Charles Nesson and and do this. Do the hologram thing. It's the MRA. No, no, the, an actual a guy who looks like Charlton, uh, uh, like uh, Charles Bronson. Um, it, it was like this guy from New Zealand or something like that. It's uncanny when you see him. It's like, oh my god, it's, it's Charles Bronson, but it's not because Charles Bronson's been dead for years, and and it's this is a new movie. But as a modern movie, I feel like they have to overdo it and go with some weird mocap uncanny valley thing and like play up the production and the special effects and like trailers and the making of, you know, like. <sighs> They, they have to do budget. that as a modern movie. Oh, yeah, I gotta look this up because it's now we made yes. Garfield. <laughs> Garfield. <gasps> Garfield. Garfield. Is there a Garfield the movie? Video I thought you Garfield. said Garfield. Garfield so. There is a Garfield movie. Are you kidding? No, 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 no. No, uh -oh. Garfield. No, she watched some sort of like three-hour-long analysis of one Garfield strip comic and tried to make me watch it. I we just wanted, we let's not go to Garfield. Well, you see, John can't get laid. So well, that's what the this, pipe is. So he has this uh, this this weird friendship with a cat and a dog. <laughs> he just legit, he just can't get laid. He's trying really hard. He, he somehow substitutes the cat and the dog as his friends because nobody will be friends with him because he won't stop, you know. John's he's getting an into some, he's like, an incel is what you're yeah. saying. Yeah. He's, he's like, he's, he's on the alt-right pipeline and Garfield's like, oh, fuck, I gotta get out of here. And then John's and like, who wants lasagna? And then Garfield's like, I guess I'm also in this alt-right pipeline. I don't know. It happens. If you've never read Garfield minus Garfield, you're missing out. Oh, I have. Uh, actually, what you need to check out is Garfield. Uh, it's a minus John plus John. Oh. It's where they, they oh, replace yeah. John that. with <laughs> um, a Dr. Manhattan. Oh my gosh. Uh, I don't think I've seen that. I thought I saw one where they just like erased him. And no, like, oh, no, no. It's just, yeah, it's just Dr. Manhattan now. So it's like, but it's it's all the same dialogue as John. So it's like, there's Dr. Manhattan standing there naked going, my pants, my pants fell off today. No one noticed. <laughs> that is true. He would say that. <laughs> yeah. John has a, has a rich and fulfilling life. As this, like, I, I wouldn't call it rich or fulfilling. <laughs> he, he has a he life. He has a life. Yeah. <laughs> He found he found a cat behind a Italian restaurant. I mean, it's now it's his best friend. That's about as good as you can get, I guess. Best and friend or mentor, <laughs> lifelong companion. Okay, but Garfield <laughs> is too far field, right? Yes, it's too far field. Like, go back over have to Star Wars. Yeah, who's Star right? Wars. Who's, who's driving this lasagna? <laughs> <laughs> Is that a Freudian slip? I can't make oh. I can't make Garfield be about mermaids, man. Yeah, you can. They did. A, oh, okay, I gotta stop. I'm sorry. Nermal, 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 Nermal. Yeah, Nermal's a. Oh, thank you. There's okay. an entire. I, I hate myself for knowing the name Nermal. To I know it. I know it. Don't worry. <laughs> I, yeah, I know Abu Dhabi because of Nermal. <laughs> so Garfield the movie, good movie. Wait, no, fuck. Planet no. of the Apes. All right. Um. 
Lorenzo music is my Garfield. Just so, just to be on the record, Lorenzo music is my Garfield. Not before I let uh, before I let everybody plug their various projects. Um, concluding thoughts from uh, you know, from each from each person. Matthew, the film guy. Is this a film? Is it a movie? Planet of the Apes. Go. Well, it's definitely a movie, but it's back for when Hollywood movies even forgot or didn't yet learn that they don't even need to try to put anything like an idea or any kind of social commentary in the film. So it's that earlier form of movie, which just by default, by what's come of us later, it looks like it's actually got some sort of serious thought behind it. It's, But it's total, you know, it's science fiction done big screen. I, like my one liner is that it's a big Twilight Zone episode. And, uh, you know, it's it was funny to me that it, in what he said, uh, you know, he would never do sequels. And it really feels like uh, that clip that you showed us that his last line that, you know, you did it. You finally did it. You blew it up. It's like the sequels just basically took over the movies and they ruined any sense that you could have a blockbuster that was even somewhat serious. I mean, it took another, you know, 10 or 15 years for it to be totally mindless. But, you know, we, then you get Jaws and then you get Star Wars and then, it's, you know, the brakes are off uh, on even trying that hard to make a to make a popular movie. So it's a movie. Uh, I, you know, I enjoy science fiction concepts. I still watch the old Star Treks. The this mise-en-scene is not very great, but as long as the ideas are there, I can vibe to it. I can get into it. I can appreciate it. Uh, you know, this one definitely had a lot of ridiculous shit all throughout it. Uh, so it had some intentional and unintentional laughs. But, um, you know, honestly, compared to the sequels, it's a freaking masterpiece. So, <laughs> Oh, my God, Sam Cedar World. What a fucking nightmare. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> All right, Andy. Are you allowed uh, to do that? I don't know. I He just was he was talking about Marvel movies, and then I just wrote the Sam Cedar in there. So, Oh, you did that to him? Nice. Yeah. No, I did that. <laughs> That's All funny. right. Uh, so, so final thoughts? Um. I, I adore this movie. Like I really do for, for all the wrong reasons. Um, uh, it, it's, it's so fun to be able to watch something that, that is um, like, like it's kind of a bridge. It really is kind of goes from the classic sci-fi uh, B movie as a big budget film uh, of the sixties. And, and you don't normally see stuff like that. So uh, it's exciting that, that, that something like this actually uh, exists. Um uh, and, uh, you know, it's, it's cheesy, it's corny, it's, it's everything I love and, and a bad movie. Um, but also like it tries to be smarter than it uh, needs to be and it doesn't necessarily succeed, but, but I just love that too. And, and, um, I, I will watch this again and again, uh, because I am a nerd like that. <laughs> All right, Jeremy, I'm sure you have things that we didn't cover that you wanted to touch on I, I mean at this point i think it'd be better to just sort of uh to, to quote Jay Hutch, I know you have a quote up there, but uh, I got to say, like, this is basically my favorite Twilight Zone episode. And I've said that before about Planet of the Apes. Like, this is essentially a nice extended Twilight Zone episode. It has that flavor to it. But uh, Jay Hutch was also saying, uh, remember when the Charlton Heston character broke his glasses and he could never see the apes clearly again? Um, <laughs> or I thought the twist was that Charlton Heston was the ape and everyone else was beautiful. Uh, <laughs> So the Twilight well, Zone. If Charles exactly. had broken exactly. his glasses and he could never see an ape again, he would have been set. He could have fucked. 
Like he, he would have. He angry. wouldn't be lonely. His cosmicism, I, his nihilism, would have been solved. Yeah. I think he was almost there anyway. Like, give him a couple beers, he would have been fine. He didn't need to break his glasses. <laughs> if he didn't have Nova around, that movie would have went very differently. He was. He was not. You know. I guess this is the. These are bad movies. Uh, problematic take. He was not very. Uh, he was not very nice to her. I'll say no. that. Imagine. <laughs> she didn't. Ha- she had no personality. She was literally an animal. She was she was just there to look pretty, and that's what she did. Yeah, she did a good job of it. And that's his kind of girl, you could tell. Apparently. <laughs> also, that guy, Jay Hudge, sorry to interrupt, but he wrote that the Statue of Liberty was an ape the whole time. Isn't that the end of Spaceballs? It's also <laughs> the end of the, the Tim Burton. <laughs> Which is the end of the book, right? The oh, Pierre yeah, no, yeah, Bollet's book. I was confusing story. Spaceballs with Tim Burton's <laughs> movie. <where it's laughs> but I know they do some Abraham gag in Spaceballs. Yeah, Abraham Lincoln was... Uh, no, no, Spaceballs was just like the planet of the apes see it and like, oh, there's Spaceballs on our planet. Right, right, right. Oh, shit. There goes the neighborhood. The other, yeah. uh, the other really amazing Mel Brooks uh, 1968 bit is the beginning of... Uh, um the history of the world where he has all the all the apes at the beginning of that movie that just start jerking off all around each other in like a circle um but that's, that's part one right that's, that's anthropology yeah. <laughs> no but that's you know that's history of the world part one is a, is a come on you guys remember that off. scene she hasn't seen it i have i'm i'm uh it's on the list now different sure. generation I, i've apparently neglected to remember that scene I've only seen it edited for TV. All right, those are all plausibly deniability uh, <laughs> statements. I've seen that scene. I was I was in that scene. No, wait. <laughs> um, That's how you were conceived. <laughs> I don't know. I I watched uh, 2001 when I was six, so I got that scene watching it as like a teenager, for sure. I, I actually, um, we were going to do the, the 2001 episode on uh, GTA. Uh, that was like the last one that, that we were going to do. And then, um, and I watched it twice with my dad. And my dad got really excited and was like, remember when you were six and I showed you 2001? And we watched it a bunch of times. And I was like, I remember watching, I don't remember, like, I don't know. My dad was like super excited to be like, to be like, let's watch this again. Let's, and so I watched it like three times that week. And he like sat there like, like, <laughs> how old is I, your dad? Uh, 60. Okay. He's a little, he's 10 years younger than my dad, but my dad showed me that movie too. That was like a real yeah. father son moment for us. But actually, he took me to see 2010 first. <laughs> my dad did oh, that. 2010. That's another good one. That would be fun to watch. Soviet era science fiction. Yes. Definitely. I love um, that one for different reasons. Well, if so you like Soviet era science fiction, let's just watch the fourth Indiana Jones. <laughs> just the last ten minutes. I like the last ten minutes. <laughs> I guess. I guess uh, one one interesting thing about uh, Planet of the Apes and the sequels is that one of the writers, obviously not Rod Sterling, but like one of the writers that had passed through um, both the first and the second Planet of the Apes were done by someone who had done a bunch of work on James Bond and like various other like Cold War. Uh, mm-hmm like cold war movies and like novels and like had done a lot of writing with that because obviously, you know, they had a, they had a big team that was like early kind of Marvel style, uh, you know, franchise. Um, so it, it's interesting that, you know, I think some of the, uh, the nuclear, uh, 
uh, message got lost in, in that. Um, I think towards towards mm-hmm. the middle of it. Anyway, I'm gonna let each of you guys. Uh, well, do you, I actually? Do you guys have a final a final thing? I don't know if I mean. Yeah, I've got one. Yeah. If I were an alien, and I caught a glimpse of this movie projected into the cosmos, it would be the reason I didn't visit. <laughs> Agreed. Uh, they weren't going to handle it well. No. Yeah. Let that be a lesson to you, aliens. Stay back. <laughs> we would do this to ourselves. Yeah. I'm surprised. I, I, uh, I'm surprised Trump didn't blast it in the wall. Aliens, <laughs> stay out. Stay out. This is how. This is how we handle it. We'll we'll do it monkey style. <laughs> <laughs> my, my Nova, she's perfect. She's a ten. Oh no! That was low energy. <laughs> low low energy. Taylor didn't even smash during the movie. Had plenty of chances. We almost I, made it through the whole episode. This is no longer a safe space. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's just revealed itself to have never been. Uh, apparently, <laughs> you blew it up! <laughs> <laughs> Damn you! <laughs> Damn you all to hell. That's Trump that's Trump watching Atlantic City go. He's like, you blew it up. Damn you. <laughs> oh. You could do one. Come on. <laughs> no. I, I, I guess my big takeaway from watching the first movie for the third time and all of the subsequent sequels and remakes and such was it was always a political metaphor and a racial metaphor, but never really a good one. Like they, they all fall prey to essentialism and don't really critique it at all. And so shout it just out to, shout out to Adolf Reed on, on, on the, <laughs> the essentialism point. <laughs> yeah. So it just, it just left me feeling, eh, ugh, no. The entire time. Mm-hmm. Well, a- Andy, you were saying before you, you're making Milton Alamadi watch bad movies. I-, I think that should be a thing. That should be great. I mean, we could get like Adolf Reed to watch bad movies and bring on uh, yeah, like Richard Wolf. And it's got to be, be just. Yeah, it's got to be just right though. Like, like uh, yeah, I, yeah. I, I, um, Why do we want to bring these people <laughs> down? Let them stay where we need them where they are. Uh, yeah. <laughs> get Noam Chomsky to watch uh, Romeo and Juliet. <laughs> so. So, I, so a couple weeks ago, I emailed Noam Chomsky a question just to see, like, if it was true, like, if Noam Chomsky uh, would always like, respond back. to everybody. Yeah. So he so responded back like a really thoughtful answer, and multiple people were like, "Oh, you should have him come on your your podcast." So I've interviewed, I think, I mean, I've edited four interviews with Chomsky at this point on different on various shows. Like, obviously, the first one was the one Michael did, um, and then I I, I uh, edited one Katie Halper did. I edited when he came on weekends on Jacobin and. Uh, there was a fourth, it might've been one of, one of them. There was like a second one he did too. So I like started off my email being like, Hey, like I've, you know, I mean, like I like Noam Chomsky a lot. And then a bunch of people were like, Oh, you should have him come on your podcast. And I was like, he's in his neck. Like, I'm not doing that to him. I'm not telling like Noam Chomsky to come on my movie podcast. Like Jesus, the, the, the closest I'd ever get is like, I'd maybe try to get Zizak to come on a, 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 a bad, like, a, like, well, this, this isn't a bad, but like a, a movie podcast, like, Cause he actually is into that kind of thing. And I like have met him a couple times. So like, I, 
but you I would know, not no, ask. No, wait, wait. Not, not wanting or being able to attend is not the same thing as not being invited. That's true. <laughs> it's nice to be thought of. It's nice to be thought of. I'm, I'm not reaching out to Chomsky. <laughs> start with, start Professor with Chomsky, I was thinking of you. Yep. Exactly. Just nice intro, nice outro. Do a handwritten card. Yeah. It's the thought that counts. You could really do one of those um, like daily show type interviews where you just shoot yourself and then find footage of him answering your questions <laughs> at this point. And it's the all first person, the first person I ever saw that do was uh, Weird Al. When yes. He, when he did the, the series of those interviews with uh, he had Eminem and he was talking to Eminem and he's like, and Eminem's like, know what I'm saying? He's like, I know what you're saying. And he's like, no, I'm saying he's like, I know what you're saying. I <laughs> there you go. Weird Al. Um, all right. So I'm sure everybody, I mean, if there's anything else anyone wants to say about uh, Planet of the Apes, um, I'm going to get, let each person, uh, you know, each person plug whatever they want to plug, uh, starting with, the old, the old pal, Matt, the film guy. What's going on? I know you want to plug your your uh, your class. I, I since the pandemic started, I, I used to teach this um, senior citizens uh, uh, continuing education film appreciation class at the uh, Queens JCC here in Forest Hills. But once it, uh, the pandemic started, it all had to go online, and I'd say about half of the senior citizens figured out how to do that. So we opened it up to just everybody. And uh, we've since had a lot of great response from my plugging it on the majority report. So we've got a really cool group of people who uh, every Tuesday for two hours come and talk about a movie that I have sent them the link to uh, the previous week. And uh, we just dig deep into like, you know, serious movies, movies that like maybe we don't all understand and try to wrestle with them together. And I try to guide the conversation, but I'm not by any means lecturing. And in fact, at this point, I'm showing movies that I actually haven't seen either. Uh, either by filmmakers who I've loved other work by or who have become recommended to me by various sources. So uh, you can go on my letterbox.com and um, see the list of all the movies that I've shown there for a taste of the kinds of movies. But they come from everywhere, all over the world, uh, high budget, low budget, foreign films, domestic films. And uh, we just have a really great, you know, I want to say like serious kind of almost spiritually tinged uh, conversation about the power of a film to... Uh, uh, you know, enlighten, to uh, educate, and to blow minds. So what and you're saying, it's like a podcast. Yeah, it sounds a lot like this podcast. I mean, it was just like this podcast, only with slightly less, you know, ape masturbation uh, references. <laughs> oh, see, I couldn't, give, I couldn't give that up, you know? Right. No, But hey, join the class. Bring what you can bring. We want everyone to bring who they are to the, to the podcast. It's what there makes the wonderful melting pot. No, absolutely. And what's so great is we have <laughs> these 85-year-old women who are like former artists and are retired and are just like super deep and have seen it all. And we have like, you know, hyper film nerds who are super film literate and uh, maybe are a little socially awkward and like this weird, wonderful alchemy that happens in these conversations. A lot of times people don't like the movies per se, but love the conversation. And uh, I've just been having a blast doing it. So uh, you can go to my uh, Twitter, which is at Langdon Boom, and I posted the link there, and it starts uh, October fifth, and it's for ten weeks. And I'll have that in the in the video description. Um, Thanks. After dude. this, as soon as we get off. Um, all right, Andy. Yeah, I got uh, Milton Alamati coming on my podcast. I got to figure out exactly when we're filming and and all that good stuff. But we're going to be discussing Wolf Warrior two. Um, I, I uh, basically told him that uh, 
the movie's about uh, Ch it's Chinese propaganda about uh, col colonizing Africa. And he's like, I'm in. <laughs> so, uh, you know, it's, it's all in the cell. Uh, but, but uh, you know, hopefully I'm going to be bringing him on with a foreign policy expert. Um, uh, I, I got to follow up with uh, uh, Cuba and see if he's available. Oh, that, would be, uh, that would be fucking amazing. And, and so we're going to be discussing China and Africa uh, through the lens of um, a movie where a guy drives a truck through a hospital and then fights a guy who's twice his size. <laughs> What's it called, the movie? Wolf Warrior Two. It was like the highest, one of the highest grossing films of uh, 2017. It, it beat out Warrior. a couple of uh, superhero movies, and, and it's like this Chinese-made film. It's got, um, uh, oh, what's his name? Frank Grillo is the bad guy in it, uh, who who is uh, Crossbones in uh, uh, Captain America. A couple of the Marvel movies. Yeah, that's that's amazing. All right, Jeremy. All right, so I just changed my name here so you could follow me on twitter jdj underscore rights if you want to follow what i tweet um i have a podcast called mutations you can follow that anywhere and spotify etc cetera, etc cetera. and i talk about integral theory philosophy climate politics um eco philosophy things like that and i write about that kind of stuff too so if you're interested uh join me on patreon we're, we're reading some interesting books like right now we're reading sand talk by tyson young caporta about indigenous complexity and we just finished reading uh, uh, Jeff Vandermeer's Annihilation, which is nothing like the movie. And maybe that would be a fun movie to, to talk about with you guys. Uh, one more thing would be uh, bringing up Brooks Books on TMBS. Um, I'm, something, I'm hosting this with uh, Alicia Brooks. And we're basically kind of going through a lot of Michael Brooks' favorite books and things that he would recommend people to read and things that he liked. And we're currently reading, um, I think it's called The History of Seven Killings. And uh, that's going to be on August 17th. And I believe we're having Napoleon the Legend on with us. So that's next oh, next that's, Tuesday. Yeah, that sounds, yeah. That sounds really... Yeah, yeah, you, you guys fun. should join us. Um, I remember right after he passed, I uh, I read The Carter Method because of him. And that was like a, a mind, really just a mind-bending book. Um, I, you know, I, I really, I always loved, I mean, you know, I mean, obviously working for TMBS, but like... Uh, I loved seeing their their book lists that they would release all the time, and I felt like the the fact that they were really like giving book recommendations, and the fact that everyone that was kind of um, that was kind of listening to the podcast, or a lot of people that were listening to the podcast, really like would ask for book recommendations pretty frequently. Like, it's something that I really I really loved about it. It, it felt like way more immersive than just like oh like let, let's talk about like foreign policy issues and like to, like and like mess around a little bit for like you know a couple hours every week. Like it felt really like a um, like a, a fully immersive experience um, that you could learn so much from on so many different levels, like outside of the show too. So I really like that you guys are doing that. All right. You're still, you're still, you're still wearing your work uniform from TMBS too. Right? Yeah. I'm wearing my Adidas. Uh, I always feel like it's good luck to wear Adidas because of Michael. Like, I, I don't know. He was, he, he's honestly like one of the greatest people I ever met. I like, I don't know. Like sometimes I look back on our like random conversations and like, when on the day that he on the year anniversary, I uh, found the right before he passed, he um he was asking me like what I was gonna do during the summer because like we were gonna take a week off or something from TMBS, and I was like saying like I wanted to travel around uh around the south for like a week, and he sent me the the Tony Blair documentary, and I was like that's the goal. <laughs> oh my god, he, he loved Tony Blair. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Amy, Amanda, uh, anything you guys want to plug? 
Yeah, we're we're doing a weekly podcast. These are bad movies. I think we've mentioned it <laughs> just a couple times. <laughs> and we we hope that you, we upset you. Yeah, that, that's that's kind of our goal. Like yeah. break down the things you love. And even if you don't love them, break them down. Break everything down. It's all equal. Yeah. Um. So podcast. We got- we've got a Facebook page. These are bad movies. We've got an Instagram. These are bad movies. We've got a Twitter. These underscore bad. And uh, we got we got Suicide Squad coming up and, and the, Green, the Knight. Green Knight. So those are both really fun. I still haven't seen The Green Knight. I recommend um, it. Yeah, actually. Good movie. Wait, no, what? Movie. You recommend it? What? I, <laughs> I didn't say that. I enjoyed it very much. And Amy's going to have to convince me to its badness. D- is it Contra always or you, sometimes you both go in on it? Oh, sometimes we both go in. And just this particular one, Amy is a big history nerd. And so she came into it knowing all kinds of stuff about Arthurian legend. And I went in blind and just had a good time. I had a good time too. And she's going to agree with me by the time the, the episode ends. That's her goal. Yeah. How many, uh, how many cum shots were there in, in Arthurian legend? Is that, uh, <laughs> so you've not, seen the, the only movie. thing I know about the green Knight. So. <laughs> yeah. Uh, it was. It was. That a was a surprising, difference. yeah, thing that happened. But wasn't he a virgin birth or something? Uh, not in the movie. No. Okay. <laughs> yeah. No. The movie got great points. Can I come on and bring the room? Within yes. The next, a little bit of time. We'll that would be that would be fucking amazing because I guarantee you, it'll be one of the movies that like can't get broken down that way because. Uh... It's, the whole thing is bad. Is that a challenge? It yeah, is a challenge. challenge accepted. Yeah, I am one of the most combative people. We both went to law school. No, you're we not. You don't know what you're up against. <laughs> We're professional. But it's just a movie that's it's just a movie that's so bad that every part of it is bad. It just ensnares so it you. It's the bill, is what you're saying. It just ensnares you that way, though. There's nothing you can say that's like. Ar- I mean, arguably, it's a fun movie to watch, but there's nothing you can say that's like good. Like, you know. So you're saying it's bad. I'm saying it's the worst movie of all time in the most fun way possible. Well, we did we did attempt at one point to evaluate Mormon cinema. Yeah, I'm I'm LDS and grew up with and just mm-mm. the worst movies. Yeah, yeah. the room isn't the room isn't bad in that way. <laughs> yeah, the room so is bad in a fun way. I gotta say, I haven't seen any Mormon cinema. I'd love to delve. It's Napoleon really Dynamite. Napoleon Dynamite. It's made by Jared Hess. My bishop oh, was his uncle. That I've and seen. That's Mormon. Jared Hess. <laughs> I think his movies are terrible. I would start yeah. with a movie called Playmate of the Apes. Um. That I don't think that's <laughs> I don't think that's quite in genre. Oh but yeah. Well, we've checked out two hour. Come on yeah. over. Oh. Anytime. <laughs> I right. really loved meeting everybody too. Yeah. Same here. Uh, we've hit this two hour. Likewise. I, I yes. feel like no, but like I feel like the two hours is like the perfect. You know, it's the ninety minutes, but the podcast form. So <laughs> there are six people who still want to hear more, but listen, leave them wanting more. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I'll definitely have everybody back on the panel except Andy. He's fired. Um. <laughs> just, just kidding. This is true. Yeah. <laughs> All right. I'm well, not on the next. I'm not on the next one. <laughs> all right. Which well, the birds is coming up. Yeah, you're not going to be on Thursday, man. 
Yeah. No, the bird, the birds, we're doing the birds on Thursday. That'll be an interesting one. Cause the first time I have uh, friends coming on that I didn't meet through podcasting. So that'll be an extremely interesting, um, you know, a, a, a challenge, I guess. Um, so I'm going to say left is best. Um, I hope everyone enjoyed this and uh, good night. Good night. Thanks for it. Good night. Good night.